I think we're live now. So I'm going to introduce you real quick, ladies and gentlemen, if you are tuning in or when you watch this on YouTube, just so you know who we're having the pleasure to be with. Uh, old, old pal, Travis Lopez. Uh, love, love, love having you on here. Just a little bit about you, some accolades. He's the only Brazilian Nebraskan that you'll ever meet which I need to get into that because I did not even know he was from Nebraska. Uh, Travis will 10 summers. He was top first year, top experience every single year that he was uh, selling books. Uh, he hit more. Uh, he's in the top 200 people of lifetime units with Southwestern. So he's a beast. I'm so excited to have him on. Uh, he was excited to tell some stories. Um, as far as recruiting goes, uh, I got to have this FSL. He had the number one team in 2010 and the number 11 team in 2012, of course, he won the OL Excellence Award winner uh, for three years because, you know, you can't not do that if you're going to be that badass. So that's exciting, bro. It's so good to have you on here, man. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Thank you, Andres. You know, try to try to lead by example, right? That was that's what they taught us and what we what we tried to do. Yeah, yeah. That's um. That, those are some of those principles that you take with you, right? Like uh, the idea of. The, the, the part of the Kool-Aid that sticks that you want the, the flavor of the Kool-Aid that sticks. Yeah. <laughs> that you're okay with. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, For so, sure. Hold on. Hold, before we get into how you got into Southwestern, I need to hear sure. about the Brazilian Nebraska. I didn't know you were from Nebraska. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I wasn't born there, but I am the product of a Nebraskan mom and a Brazilian dad. So that Damn. is the, that's the outcome. <laughs> Maya, did you have, when you graduated, did you have any of your friends that went overseas to teach English? Yeah. Uh -huh. So I'm like, okay. So my mom did that back in the seventies. And <laughs> funny enough, she went to Brazil where weirdly there's kids that take classes, but they also do adult classes because people want to learn English to advance their career back in the seventies in Brazil. So sure enough, you know, there's this cute black guy in the class that's, uh, that's catching my mom's eye and you know, she was his teacher and the rest is history. Uh, so that, that's how I, that's how I ended up in there. Your dad put the moves on the teacher. Yeah. Then, he was hot for teacher and she was hot for him. So here I am. Beast mode, dude. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, my dad, that's... my dad's got swag, man. He was way cooler than I was. That's, dude, my dad, I get it. I, I get that feeling when you just try to live up to your dad. And if you're half as cool then that's good, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. It's, a, it's a solid move. So wait, have you been to Nebraska then? Yeah, man. I have I've well, I had family in Norfolk until recently. I know that it's not pronounced, you know, it's not pronounced with an L, yeah. it's pronounced with an R. Uh I have we had an old family house in Butte, Nebraska, um, which oh. is kind of in the middle of nowhere, a little yeah. 500 person town. Yeah. Uh, my mom went to UNL, her brother went to UNL, oh. still a Cornhusker fan, even though I, I recruited at Michigan for a bunch of years. So I got a little bit of Michigan fanhood, oh. but it's blue and red for me. And, uh, and yeah, I, I spent some time growing up there back when I had uh, grandparents up there. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I've been to Butte. Not much. Yeah. Random. Just driving through. Well, just, you know, <laughs> you're driving through to some other small town for that one wedding that sure, whatever. And you're like, okay. Typical town of Nebraska. Yeah. Cool, man. All right. So let me get into Southwestern. So how did you, how did you get into Southwestern, like, tell us a story about about how you got recruited. Where is it? Was it family random? What what time of the year was it? Tell us. It. Yeah, great question. So I I was recruited by a good friend of mine, Simba Kagoro. His name is actually Simbarashe Mentahama Hakuna Matata Kosa Kagoro, and he was uh, he was one of my good friends at Asbury <laughs> University, 
And he, we used to play ball together. And one of the other guys we played ball with, he recruited on his team. So I, I was actually a, like a friend recruit from an already recruited first oh. year who kept being like, yo, dude, you should come to New York and sell books with me. And I was like, yeah, you know, I could work at a bookstore this summer. Like, I don't want to go back to New Mexico for, for the summer. So why not? And so I went to, I think it was like the either late fall, early spring, went to the library, you know, the university, we're in some conference room there. And I'll never forget this guy. Do you know Liz Brown? Liz Brown. She was a, she was a Cadillac as well. Anyways, um, her older brother, Stevie Brown, ran my info session. And it was just the perfect storm of him making it sound like, man, most people can't cut it. You know, this isn't for everybody. It's super difficult. Honestly, if you're not interested, you can leave. This one lady left. I was just like, why are you leaving? This sounds awesome. And like, screw you, Stevie, I can do this. Like, you're wrong about me. And, uh, <laughs> and by the end, literally, like, had he just given me the DA and been like, you know, here's four years, you're gonna sign four sheets of paper to commit to do this for your summers in college. I would have like done that after like the first interview. I was totally bought yeah. in. Yeah, pony. Uh, straight pony. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like for summer DA, let's do it. Let's not even worry about it. Uh, which actually, there's a funny story about that during my first summer. But uh, but basically, yeah. So he he played it correctly, made it sound like it was super challenging. You could make money, but it wasn't for everybody. And it it, it you know I'm I'm that competitive guy where it's kind of like, don't tell me what I can't do. You know I, I'm that's the first I'll show thing you try to do exactly. <laughs> yeah, I showed him. Tom, first you suck on that, Stevie. Um, but yeah, that was it, it was perfect. So um, that continued throughout. I was a red flag in sales school. I would, you know, there's some funny stories, but I was that from day one. I was that from the jump. So, Let, well, hold on. Let's uh, let, tell me a couple of these red flag moments for Travis. Okay. <laughs> well, so you got to understand, right? So I'm, you know, single mom, rural New Mexico, single wide trailer. Like this isn't some shit that like you're excited about going back for the summer, right? So uh new mexico i did i mention that new mexico so point being i was like i was trying to pay for school i needed to get money i was willing to work hard i was already working three jobs i was a literally my first my freshman year i was a dishwasher i was an intramural referee and scorekeeper i was a math lab monitor i tutored math i suck at math but they were like we're hiring tutors i'm like i'll tutor uh, I literally did any job that they would give me right on campus to try to get money. Wow. And so then when people, when this funny guy with the African accent was like, Hey dude, I made the $12,000 last time. I'm like, bitch, I can do that. <laughs> you don't even speak English correctly. <laughs> so, so ultimately like I went to this meeting and I was all in, right. They were like, Oh yeah, people make 20 G's. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, where do I sign? You know, let's do this thing. Oh, yeah. So it's very like old school. It, was, it wasn't like an internship and I wasn't building characters like, yo, let's get this money, bro. So that was, that's how it was. So I, I, I went to sales school, right? And we have, you know, you've got the meeting and you know what I'm talking about. You do the climb the mountain talk and you, you yeah. go through these different pieces. And then there's that one day where we're all like clipping in with the mountain clip, you know, and yeah. we're, we're yeah, committing yeah. to what we're going to do. You're tying the rope or whatever. Right, we're tying the rope and, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and basically, you know, so... So the, you know, you'll remember as a student manager, the thing is somebody starts, I commit to 30 demos, I commit to 80 hours, I commit to finishing the summer, right? And then, you know, people try to mirror that. And then if you get off track, another student manager jumps in to like get it back on track. And I like, I stood up and I heard all these people committing stuff and whatever. I was like, cool. I looked around the room. I was like, dope. I just commit to being the best first year out of everyone in this room. Like that's my commitment. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> and I sat down and they were literally like, 
Oh, yeah. so Simba after the after the meeting, right? You know, the, the student manager pulls you aside. So Simba comes like, hey man, um, you know, I, I noticed that you uh you didn't commit to you know finishing the summer and uh, to doing 30 demos and doing 80 hours. Ago. I was like, yeah, bro, obviously, like you, you can't be the number one first year if you don't do those things. Obviously, I commit to that. Like, what are you talking about? Um, uh, but then, but no, I commit to the other thing. And so then my oh well, I had to say I had like combos with three people, my DSM. I was like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, man, I don't know what the problem is. Like, that's my commitment. <laughs> that's right. And you're, and did you do it? Did you beat all of them? I did it. Yeah, fuck yeah. Beat all yeah, of absolutely. them. Absolutely. 100%. So yeah, I had jean, jean shorts and a fanny pack every day of my first song. And I beat <laughs> all of those people who were cooler than me. So whatever. Oh, I was just talking at work because I work at, uh, I'm working with uh, self-publishing school and with Aaron okay. Schaefer and uh, Dylan Bond. I already probably remember Dylan. Yeah. Shout out to Dylan and a couple, but Matthew Mead, a couple of other book guys, and in in one of the chats today in the meeting, the conversation came up of the attire of the book man, and so we talked about you wearing polos. And yeah, that's why. Why do you think I fanny this pack? On, you know? <laughs> I got a fanny pack on too. You can't see it. Let's see it. No, you got to prove this. No way. I'm just kidding. Hold on. I, I'm about to. <laughs> All right, got it. Hold on. Here we go. Sorry, I still have one. Obviously, you know, I just didn't have it on. Oh, hey, no, it's, it's my see-through. It's my it's my festival fanny pack these days. You know, you do it with the. Uh, you got to see through for everything to get into MetLife, but you know, you when you're raving, you need a you need a place for all your supplies, you know. Oh so that's uh, that's that. So yeah, I got the fanny pack, got the got the polo. I'm ready. We selling books today? Like, where are we at? It. You not heard about me yet? Oh yeah. man, that's epic. Oh, yep. you're the. You better leave that on. Let's get it. That's it's symbolizing. It's, it's, that symbolizes a good a good podcast. That's right. I think so. That I was told that this was a book selling podcast, right? So I came to. Yeah. Prepare. I got my calculator in here. Get I got your, three uh, pens. Get yeah, I got your my little bit. These, you know, the ones that sign the actual receipt. You yeah. know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, Still yeah. use those big pens today. Then, um, yeah, so yeah, you don't need a fancy pen. Those work well. Yeah. yeah. I, I have the multicolored pen. That's uh, that's yeah, ultra, yeah. that's uh, that's advanced advanced sales pen. I always thought it was a little extra, you know, but whatever. It, to teach their own. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, this now the, the kids on the kids on one. One final, so continuing on that. So, okay, fine. I get through my first three. So they're like, all right, I guess this guy's not quitting. And, uh, and then, you know, it gets to the point where they're, they're like, you know, it's, it's the draft, right? In the summer where people are like, there, there's these secret combos and like, hey, blah, 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 talking about whatever. So I see this all happening. And so I just walk up to my, my student manager or my, oh, well, Stevie again. I'm like, hey, Stevie, uh, you guys signing people up for next summer? He's like, yep. I go, cool, man. Is there a DA or like, what do we got to do? And he's like, yeah, here, sign this. I'm like, cool, signed it. Like, that, that was ready to go. Well, I committed to go back for my next summer. It was just like, You're I found my own. was like, are we doing this? Okay, great. Do I need to? Okay, yeah, cool. You're a straight up pony. You're a straight that up pony. That was it. That was well, it. I want to get into this. We could get into this now, um, or we can do it a little bit later. But I, I want to hear how that, if you think that that mentality um helped you with your recruiting we can go into it now or if we can just pause it and save it for like, mm, like in half an hour 45 minutes because like I, I or how common that was that you you were so sold in southwestern your, your conviction was so strong that like that for sure had to help right like what do you think what, what do you think was the key to your success behind getting these big teams right yeah so like good teams okay so wow that's a multi-layer question let's do it now man. Yeah. let's yeah. let's just go let's where this goes. so so two things. Number one, 
you said these big teams. My my number one team had nine people, eight finish. My number eleven team had five people, four finish. So I I had high quality small teams. So let's not say I was not a big uh, uh, wall of greats kind of guy. I never brought even ten people. That's my. I wish I'd gotten that that one award for ten people. It's really the only big award I didn't win at Southwestern. But I'm not bitter. Or whatever. It's fine. Uh, I don't <laughs> think about it ever. I care. Why would I? I don't know why you keep bringing it up. There's a receipt um, in your fanny pack. That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I did, I was, you know, quality over quantity as a recruiter, but Which is I would, I think, I mean, it worked yeah. for me, but sure. I, I would say, I actually think that that attitude of mine hurt me originally as a recruiter, especially in school, because I think that there is, you know, I'm the type where you can just airdrop in, you don't have to set expectations, shit can go sideways at sales school, everything can go wrong. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna succeed, right? Like that, there's that yeah. type of book person. I think there's a lot of people, there's different mentalities for it. But I think that's the, the re, you know, there's some people that just, you put in there, they're gonna do it, right? They'll figure it out. Yeah. I think the majority of book people can do that, but they need a little bit more, you know, they need more proper expectation setting before the summer. They need you know, yeah. better training. They need, you know, uh, just different things that I didn't need maybe that that first year. So I, I would say the recruiting then piece, when I would try to recruit my friends and, and did what was done to me, it led to very different outcomes than the outcome I had. And it took me a while to understand why that was. Um, yeah. And part of it was because people didn't have that same attitude. Like, you know, I think at the end of the day, if quitting is not an option, then you figure out how to be successful. But- I think for the majority of book people, or let's say this, for the majority of first years, quitting is very much a real and present option. So because of that, you have to coach to that and like manage to that and recruit to that. And and for me, I just never understood that. That's interesting that you say that. So, because I remember, so, okay. I remember you and Jake Swenson in GRS in 2013, maybe or the year after that. You guys did a part on, because both of you guys are really doing well with like that idea of high quality teams that were like yeah. anywhere from like seven to 12 people or whatever. Sure. Um, but what you guys did, did really well is you guys had really good retention was the biggest thing that you, yeah. like, I think there was like one summer you guys did that like out of like the, all the people you guys recruited, there was like maybe one person that went home or something. And you guys gave a part on like how you prep people mentally for that. Yeah. And so do you feel like you were like, were you actively looking for that quality in that way? Or was there a specific, or do you, what was the specific thing that you looked for in a person that you're like, yep, this person's going to stay, or did you have that? There's a lot mm. of, there's a lot of layers in there in that, but I'm curious. Yeah. I never, I never, the best person I ever recruited was my brother. And obviously he sure. ended up becoming a DSL. So, but, but, but. <laughs> Not but, bad. Yeah. But I didn't do any of that. Like I did, I did the. <laughs> I did the first part, which is getting him in. And then, you know, Yvette and Grant probably took care of the rest. Sure. So, uh, but, and he was my brother, so he couldn't quit, right? So, but everyone else either didn't have that good of production or they quit on it. So I never yeah. figured out how to like get like a, that one stud that was, or eight studs. How did you, what was the secret? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think I attribute... I would say my mentality, I, I really had a mentality shift uh, after my first summer corporate recruiting. And I would say, you know, there's a saying necessity is the mother of invention, right? And at the end of the day, I had 
I brought, you know, very small teams my second and third summer. Even though I was a top producer, I couldn't figure out recruiting on campus. My last year as a senior, I actually brought a five-person team in school, which I think you get some award for that. You know, you get some recognition. And uh, three of them quit. Neither hit Sizzler. Then the next year, I brought a uh, eight-person team. And then again, or actually, I think it was nine-person team, six quit. And one of the three hit Sizzler. So, so if you look at my first, my first, let's say four years of recruiting, I brought nine plus five is 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. I brought almost 20 people and like five of them finished and one of them hit Sizzler in my first oh, four years recruiting. I did not know that. Okay. And specifically that senior year and then my first year of corporate recruiting, I think was sort of that, that come to Jesus moment for me where it's like, insanity is doing the same thing, expecting different results. I can go and do this thing. I'm going to grind these numbers. I'm going to get some people and bring them. But if they don't finish, they don't do well. Like, what the fuck's the point? You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm trying to build a career here and I'm trying to have these people have good experiences. Yeah. That's not what's happening, right? So I would say the, man, it's been a while since I've thought about this, but I'd say the number one thing is that it is, I would say, mentally lazy and emotionally rewarding to blame the failure of first years on the first years. So it's easy for a DSM, for a student, for an OL, for a student manager to say, oh, these guys quit. They didn't have what it takes. They weren't blank enough. Maybe they weren't hardworking enough. Maybe they weren't tough enough. Maybe they weren't emotionally intelligent enough. Maybe they, whatever it was, right? And my mentality shift was, if though if truly those people weren't blank enough it's still your fault because you got to know them for an entire semester and still brought them out onto the book deal oh shit so oh. at the end of the day either either you fucked up and didn't assess them and they did not have what it taken you weren't honest enough with them and yourself to like understand that and grasp that and like realize what the situation was or they had what it take and you, the org, the leadership, the system failed that person. Failed them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whoa. That is a shift. You're, you're taking ownership for, you're taking ownership for the production, but not necessarily control of the production. So that was, I'm taking ownership for the experience of the first year in their first summer. Yeah. And frankly, I had it. I had a badass org. I had great leaders. I had people hitting all kinds of numbers. And even though, you know, even though at the, you know, we got a car stolen, we had a breakdown by the end, Mike, my, my HQ was four people, one car that could only go 25 miles an hour. That was our whole HQ in, uh, in California. My first summer, I ended up getting moved halfway through the summer. All these different things happened, <laughs> but because, because I was, you know, to an extent, I was the type of person that was going to do it. And we had enough of this, you know, good kind of karma. We did it. But at the end of the day, I realized most people wouldn't have gotten through that without better preparation, without better expectation setting, without right. better qualification and making sure that you are bringing people that do have blank, right? Whatever it is. So I think that mentality shift then became, okay, what am I doing incorrectly mm. to, to either bringing the wrong people or preparing and training them in the wrong way or executing during the summer leadership wise that's causing people to leave. And then, then you're asking yourself the right question. Interesting. So then, so then your focus then became 
can this person do it and can I get them to do it? like can I teach them what it takes to do I mean, the fact of the matter is bro like you remember the obot story anyone can fucking sell books that's the reality does yeah. that make sense like the point is there's the vast majority of people can do this right I think maybe not the vast majority yeah. but the vast majority of people that are going to sign some random thing in the middle of class are probably the type of people that would do okay at this especially if you're at like a decent school you know you're at the UNLs the UFs the Michigans yeah. of the world like most of these people they decide to do it they can do it right yeah. So, yeah. so my premise was it's mostly our fault, right? That, that, that's, that's, I think the reality. How did you do, uh, this is actually a really good topic because this might lead us in down an interesting rabbit hole. Could you just have me think about this? So one of the things that in my experience when, when I was around, so this was <clears throat> my first summer was 2012 and then I went through uh, 2014, skip 15, we'll come back 16. At the beginning of my time there, the feeling was very much, uh, at least in the force, but definitely felt like it was a whole company. And I've talked about this too with other people that if you left, you were shunned or something like that of the sort, right? Did you, did you, um, and, and to me, the biggest problem was like, we preached this buying atmosphere when we were selling books, but when it came to like the recruiting side of it, of like letting people say, Hey, honestly, if you go, it's totally okay. And we're still going to be friends. That wasn't as genuine in, in my opinion and so like when i when i when i see when i saw other people leave and how they were treated which wasn't necessarily always the best um i realized that did you ever have any of that conflict or were you pretty good at like hey if you don't come back it's cool because it sounds like that's kind of the way you were and that's what brought you successes the genuine buying atmosphere of when you were recruiting someone it's okay if they don't come out i don't yeah. are you thinking of that what, what are your thoughts on that i guess there's a couple different areas there, right? You could be talking about pre-summer, you could be talking about during the summer, or you could be talking about student managers. Which one specifically um, were you referring to? Because I think I think there's something to be said about all those situations. Yeah, I think in, I think I think. Good question. So I think, in my opinion, if it had been if it was taken better care of in the in the pre-summer of the first yep. year, mm -hmm. then you deal with it a lot less. Even though you have smaller teams, you deal with it a lot less during the during the summer because in that way, those kids that are coming out are willingly coming instead of like oh i got talked into because i was going cold and i should have got let let go or left mm. on cold and then i got talked into coming and then i went week three i shit the bed sold maybe 30 units in three weeks and then I went home and then it created a much bigger problem with the rest of the org that yeah. first that first summer. so and then i but i guess more specifically i was talking about uh the second year like yeah yeah the, the managers yeah but but yeah. if you want to speak to all three that'd be great or whatever you think. Yeah, it's multi, it's again, it's multi-layered, but I, I would say, I think the reason people don't do what we're talking about is because it's harder to teach and it's harder to, to execute. What's easy mm -hmm. to teach is thousand dollars every Sunday, numbers funnel through the recruiting funnel, sign 30 DAs, bring 15 people out, throw it at the wall, see what sticks. At the end of the day, enough people sell enough units, everyone makes money, and we're keeping the 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 ball rolling every year. That's okay. easy and duplicatable. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So that that's so that's the reality, right? In my opinion. But I think that you know, if you have a little bit more patience and a little bit more maybe nuance to what you're doing, then you're absolutely right. That what that creates is 
can't even remember that website that all those stories about the negative southwestern experience but that that's what that creates right that system that i just talked about creates the people that that yeah. that are really vitriolic about how negative their experience wasn't and to an extent they're they have the right to feel that way you know mm -hmm. because yeah. because imagine put yourself in their shoes if if you got sweet talked all semester about this thing and it was like one thing and then you know and you get this like you remember this we, we would tell for oh you know whatever it's blah 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 it's this it's that it's whatever right mm -hmm. and then literally day two of, of sales school it's pouring rain you're jogging around outside your your sales you know thing is falling apart in your hands you're 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 soaking wet you're a million miles away from home you're freezing and all of a sudden you're like this isn't what we talked about like what the fuck am i doing here right but we did that to people just by not preparing them and not being transparent why out of fear that if we were real about what was going to happen they wouldn't come out with us in the first place right so it's a double whammy not only are we lying to them but then they realize we're lying to them but then we're upset that they leave when we when when they realize we're lying to them and lying by omission and maybe not intentionally but like definitely lying hundred percent yeah hundred percent not to politicize things but a lot of these republicans just because they didn't say anything against trump there's some complicitness in that yeah. right like like yeah. to an extent you enabled this by just yeah standing back and standing by right so right. At, at the end of the day like you can omit all these things but the reality is you omit out of fear so so it, whether it's subconscious or not it is purposeful it is intentional line yeah right there's a there's some sort of yeah yeah and yeah. and then the these people come out 100 then these people come out and it's not at all what they were prepared to do so of course they leave and then we have the 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 gall to tell them ah you just don't have what it takes you know you're just not yeah. strong enough right all these different excuses we make to feel ourselves better about the fact that we did a shitty job in the first place right right so that's that. And then of course, you know, by the time you get to the second year, it, it is true at the end of the day, I think that's like the really balance of Southwestern is it's like these, this, this aspirational build skill and character and young people, we want you to do what's best. Meeting the reality of we make money if you come back and, and deliver units, right? They're, those are two like sort of dichotomous things that we've managed to kind of put in the same thing, but yeah, sometimes when the rubber meets the road, one of those things takes a back seat. Right. So, and this is especially true with that specifically when, when, when people would say you're not your units, but then you very clearly saw that I know. And again, I can't speak that that's how it is now, but at least when we were, that's key to say, uh, at least when I was in there, the yeah. people, when you, when you sold, you were definitely favored. Like, I mean, there's, you know, which is fair, you know, they earned it. They earned that, they worked harder and they earned that recognition and that's good. What you job know? have you ever been in that that's not the case, right? That's I mean, true. like, I worked at Salesforce. It's one, it's the number one software company. That's the same shit there. The people that sell the most get the best territories. Like they get promoted to senior, you know, like that's, that's just how life works. Yeah. But the, the only, the only difference is there it's that that's the deal it's a job and it is what it is right yeah. i think i think honestly part of the issue is where we just it went from let's say in the 50s hey man this is a summer job come make money let's get this money together to like let's build skill and character and have an internship and do all these different things and then it's like there's this there's this wizard of oz effect right where like there's one thing out here and then there's something else going on behind the curtain and it you know when people realize that 
there's there's sometimes a, a break in in trust yeah. and then uh and in good feelings right and positive positive vibes so okay then you watch this happen you had, you had people do well what do you what what were you think on uh, based on the things you saw were qualities that made someone excel like when and i this had been brought up another cast before but like let's say two people who work just as hard right they put in they both work 84 hours right they're both pretty coachable they're both busting what who wins because they don't they won't tie right like well the person with the better territory obviously <laughs> yes um, other this. than that territory being equal <laughs> yeah, territory being equal sure. uh the person in texas is the answer to that question but um i think uh yeah i don't know man i i think I think there's enough space since I've seen, you know, my, my top in-school recruit, if I lined up all my in-school recruits and asked you to predict which would be the top in-school recruit would be the last person if you ranked them that you would probably guess would, would have sold yeah. the most, right? Yeah. Um, he actually had scissor but didn't come. So I take it back. I did have another scissor winner in school. I did have one. But, um. Man, there's no, that's why I'm saying, I mean, it's funny, right? I don't know that there's any rhyme or reason. I guess like you just got to, if you step back and you think of the fundamentals, right? Does this person get good grades? You know, does this person, you know, are they active in school? Do they, you know, do they, honestly, here, here's actually, I take it all back. This is what I would say. At the end of the day, my biggest criteria, yeah, do you think you can work hard? And, you know, are they committed? Whatever, they're person of their word. But at the end of the day, it's like, if all things being equal, and this is part of what I took into those years where, you know, it was quality over quantity. If all things being equal, you didn't sell books, you weren't a recruiter, they didn't, they, you weren't trying to recruit them. It was just two human beings. Would you want this person to be like a good friend of yours? Like, would you fuck with this person? Would you kick it with this person? Interesting. Like, at the end of the day, the people you can answer that yes to are going to do well in the, in the, in the summer. And at the end of the day, they're gonna like you more and you're gonna like them more. And all the things we just talked about are gonna be easier and better if that's the case. Often, I think the reason your team suck is because you didn't fucking like the people that you recruited, man. And if you're really honest with yourself, I think a lot of recruiters have brought a lot of fucking people to the book field that they don't like, man, that they would not hang out with. It was outside that context. And if no one did that, I think it would be a much better situation for everyone involved. Interesting. And then you'd get probably relatively more suited people for the job totally. relatively if that even makes sense right because it's hard to say who's good but I mean, at the end yeah. of the day you're going to spend a lot of time with these people you're going to kick it with them a lot like you might as well work with people you enjoy you know and I, and I think that just wasn't the case for a lot of these teams yeah interesting cool uh, so then okay now i got another question for you well and if you and if we can reference to this back as, as needed or if you have other points uh feel free to interject before you answer but what do you, i want to hear about what you're doing now how did you get where you're at now tell us about um we'll, we'll talk about, about why you left um in a sec but um what are you up to now maybe what skills from self are you using that really like helps help you currently and how did you end up from uh being an ol and self western to or fsl and and then sure. like here where are, sure. you? are you you're so, in new york new york city yeah. yeah i'm in brooklyn spread love and uh i'm i'm in i'm an enterprise account executive which is a fancy word for salesperson in the tech world and i sell 
uh, HR technology to businesses um, that have more than a thousand employees. So I sell a learning platform. It's part of the HR tech suite that delivers corporate training to to employees. Um, It's really not that exciting from a, from a software or, or or like platform standpoint, but um, the the reason I, I guess my, my career since Southwestern is I moved uh, from being an OL after that last summer, 2014. Um, I came to New York City and joined like the tech startup ecosystem out here. So I worked with uh, with a couple of the book guys at a, a company called Souls. They did they sold these 3D printed orthotics. We were basically doing medical sales, but selling doctors' iPads that they could prescribe these 3D printed like insoles, basically to uh, medical insoles. Did that for a year, got promoted to team lead, and then got recruited to another startup in the 3D printing world called uh, Voodoo Manufacturing. And they basically had a, a factory of 3D printers and they were making small batch like custom mass manufacturing. And so still in 3D printing, I was a director of sales. I started just me selling stuff. I recruited a couple people to work with me, started a team. We ended up going through this startup accelerator called Y Combinator, which um, is out in San Francisco. It's like a relatively prestigious startup accelerator and then we raised like five million coming out of that as a seed round and at that point i was yeah it was cool we we um we were like tech crunches number one pick for demo day or whatever hell yeah and and we um so i i that was three years in just the 3d printing world i decided that i didn't want to be in 3d printing and after being a director of sales for two years I wanted to go back into just being an individual contributor. We, you know, it's interesting because Southwestern leadership means like mentoring and coaching and all these different things. But I think in the, in the tech world, it's just, it's a lot of hiring and recruiting and forecasting and just meetings with executives. It wasn't things I was good at or that I really particularly liked doing. Hmm. So I decided to go back into like individual contributor and I decided to go into software as a service. So I wanted to sell software to businesses because I felt Long-term, that'd be where I wanted to be, not 3D printing. Yeah. So I decided uh, there's a company called Salesforce, like the number one software company in the world. They sell a, a CRM and a customer success platform that helps businesses with all their client-facing everything, marketing, service, sales, et cetera. And um, it was totally a Southwestern move, but I went to their, I was already a client of theirs and I was in a user group and I was basically the admin of their platform at my current role at Voodoo. And Salesforce has this thing every year called Dreamforce, which is like this big conference in San Francisco that they throw for all their clients. Um, if you watch Silicon Valley, it's basically Hoolicon, uh, but like the real life version of what that was based on. And so I went there and I was at a life at Salesforce thing. And I basically like went up on the mic and asked a really good question about sales to the person who was speaking. And afterwards a VP approached me and we had like a, a conversation and she sort of, referred me to the VP on the East Coast in New York where I lived, who like we had a good conversation with. And then I got into the interview process into Salesforce through that. So it's kind of like just network and finesse and one-on-one kind of conversational skills, which obviously Southwestern helps with. And uh, and I got in the interview process and this is a, you know, they they have 800,000 applicants and they they accept 1.5% of of the people that apply, right? Like it's a it's a pretty challenging company to get into. And I was able to just interview and, and honestly, they were impressed with like the Southwestern experience, even though I had zero software sales experience, which doesn't make sense <laughs> to get hired at Salesforce if you don't, uh, they somehow made me an offer. And, and I, I credit like the interview, the one-on-one interview experience and the, and, the, and the sort of resume that I had 
you know, from Southwestern plus the startups, they liked it. So I, uh, I sold myself basically, which is what we learned how to do, you know, for, oh. for 10,000 hours over a bunch of summers. And I, I got a job <laughs> at, uh, at Salesforce. So I guess it feels like you have a question, so we can pause there. That's not what I'm doing yeah. now, but that's how I got into software. Okay. Yeah. 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 Hold on. We'll get to yeah. what happened there, but talk to me about the question that you asked that led the, the VP to come talk to you. And then also um, what did they ask specifically about your resume? Cause I've heard stories of people who, who they, they same thing with like their resume was really stand out and they went, tell us about this and how that went. Yeah. And yeah. We'll so go. the question, yeah. So the, the question was, it was funny. Uh, it was this woman who and it's very Salesforce, definitely like they have Kool-Aid there that, that you drink too. I, I guess I'm, I'm just into <laughs> kind of culty organizations, um, but Salesforce is like, you know, they, she was like, man, you know, just waking up every day and, you know, doing something that you believe in. She's from San Francisco. She's very like California, like, yeah, you know, just going to work every day and, you know, helping businesses dreams come true and blah, blah. And I, so I stood up and I was like, Hey, um, you know, thanks for sharing. Loved uh, your, your talk, but from an actual sales perspective, like, tell me a little bit about what doing sales at Salesforce looks like, you know? And I was like, what's like, what are your metrics? And what is your day-to-day? -day? And and what do you know? And what do you sell? And all the, like, I actually wanted to know about doing sales there, right? And that was my question I asked on the mic that I guess caught the attention of the VP. Like, oh, this dude, like, knows what he's talking about and wants to work here. So uh, I think that was that. Um, really, though, just having the guts to get up on a mic and, like, ask a follow-up question and, and, yeah. and, you know, do your thing. And then, you know, in the interview, I think, yeah, I think I, I have a talk track down where you're just very straight up about what you did in Southwestern. And I think in a sales world, it always sounds impressive as like a starting point, you know, where you, you worked 80 hours a week selling books door to door and, you know, a straight yeah. commission, you're in some random place, but School of Hard Knocks built a lot of sales fundamentals and, you know, that work ethics carried you through, you know, the rest of your career. And, and that's like the jumping off point into the rest of what you did. But I think people were, when you frame your Southwest experience correctly as like the, the jumping off, especially if you're in sales. Um, I think it, it can have a really powerful effect on the way people view you as a candidate during the interview process. Yeah, no doubt. Wow, that's so cool. So then you started with them uh, in 2017, 18? Uh-huh, in 2019. 2019. Wait, Wait, no, no, hold up. That's not right. 2018, because not, yeah, 2018. <laughs> Was when, so, like winter 2017 i started there january 2018 that's right. that's that's great stuff so they do you have like this like specific way of, like that like the door demo of explaining how your self-western experience went like sold books sort of door hours a week blah, blah, yeah. built sales funded. that's awesome that's a good uh, snippet i have a hard time explaining what self-western is to people that don't know it <laughs> right i think that's i think that's where you get the chance to explain it in the way that makes you sound the most awesome right i think that's that's what i think most people they lead with some weird stuff like i was just having a conversation the other day it's a it's an old book i todd perzell and we've been doing just some like random catch-ups he was working in software in uh in the czech republic i think oh cool or so, somewhere in 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 europe and he, he and his family just moved back to atlanta and I've been helping him, like trying to get his foot in the door in software, like here. And he was, um, you know, when he talked about stuff, he's like, do you bring up that you knocked for host families? I'm like, why? Like, just say the stuff. Like, if you're saying things and people are raising their eyebrows, like that's weird, then that's not what yeah. to say. But if they're, you if you're say saying things and people are like, whoa, at the end, they're like, respect, you know, like that's the attitude. That's what you want to generate. Yeah. So tell a story in that, 
you know, two minutes that makes people go like, whoa, I couldn't do that. That sounds intense. Like props to you, right? If, if you yeah. generate that, then then Just, you, you've you done a good job. Yeah. Something drop, like it, that. drop the hammer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. then, so, so then that's how the interview went. So you started with them. Were there any other book guys in that in the company? And then how did you do? What, what happened after 2018 and on? I mean, there probably are. There's 30,000 salespeople, but not, you know, not that, not that I knew of. Um, oh, okay. So I, uh, I did well. Uh, I, I was able to, I would say in the first nine months, I was top 30% in our, in our like sales okay. division. And then I kind of ramped up pretty quickly. And then I, uh, at the end of the day, I, I made a mistake, and, and this is sort of where the, the story takes a darker turn. But I, I, I got recruited to be in the nonprofit sales division of Salesforce, and they basically they they took me internally from one team to another, and I, I kind of forced that through. So I got a big bonus and a pay bump and all this different stuff, but I ended up kind of burning some bridges in my old team. And my old team was really good. I had a great manager, good team, good territory, all the above. And I didn't finish out my first year. So like really reap the benefits of all that work Ooh. that I put in. So it left a bad taste in the mouth of that manager. And then I got to the new team. Um, I racked up multiple HR violations in a shockingly small amount of time with the team uh, for things like, for example, I, I made a comment, they were talking about killing a deal and they kept benching it. So I was like, man, you're really holding the gun sideways when you kill that deal. And uh, it was like a like a gangster comment, right? Yeah. You know, holding the gun. Yeah. And, yeah. and ultimately I got written up for making a gun violence at work comment, you know, in a team Holy meeting. Shit. So things like that. I just joined a team that I was not a great fit for. And ultimately it all came to a head. And so I uh, voluntarily resigned with the severance, Andres, from Salesforce. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and was looking for my next opportunity. So. At the time, I was working with my friend, uh, Nicole Hartman. She was a, a recruiter at a tech recruiting company called Bets Recruiting. And I'd actually hired her at Voodoo. So we were like good friends in the city. Yep. She, I love Nicole. Shout out. She's amazing. Uh, my girlfriend now. So shout out. I made oh, it. Oh, yeah. Um, but basically, she placed me into my current role. And, and the goal was I could, now that I had Salesforce experience and a lot of tech experience, it's like, how could I go back into that startup world, but get out of the let's call it small, medium-sized business transactional sales and get into more strategic, uh, higher value, larger contract, you know, that type of big ticket deals. Yeah. So I had the opportunity. That's why I joined this company, not because I'm super passionate about learning or HR tech, but because it was my foot in the door into enterprise sales, which is what I do now. So it's like, you know, six-figure deals, you know, larger companies, that type Whoa. of thing, um, which, is, wow. which is where what, what I'm currently doing um, with 360 uh, Learning. That's very cool. 360 Learning. Cool, cool. 360 Learning, yeah. It's a French company that uh, in the learning tech space, basically. That is super cool. Mm -hmm. And and then you're killing. That's awesome. Yeah. And I thank God, like, this year obviously has been tough for the world and mm -hmm. for everyone. But um, I guess in spite or maybe because of the pandemic in large organizations, when you go full remote, you, you get all these collaboration tools in place. Like, all right, we got Zoom, we got Microsoft Teams, we got Slack, right? Whatever you need. And then you got to hire people again. And your first thing is, whoa, we can't just send these 500 people to a building somewhere and do training yeah. to onboard them. Like we need a better digital learning platform than what we have, right? So I've been benefiting from that where we're not essential, but we're that next layer down of, oh, that's important. Let's look around. And that's where we're like, hey, 360 learning. Uh, that's so that's- cool. That's where I've been doing. So yeah, I, I guess I hit 
85% of quota in 2020, which all things considered, I'll take it. That's solid. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah was, thank uh, God. I was in 2020, I was heavily working in the life insurance and uh, I work with a company called Primerica based out of Atlanta. Okay. And cool. they, we struggled going into Zoom transition uh, for yeah. sure. But life insurance actually, because of the pandemic, people actually, I had my best year. There since, you go. You know, and Why'd so, you leave? Um, I, I, after Southwestern, I got burned out of recruiting. Okay. And I, the next, in order to keep moving up, um, I would have had to probably recruit more. And I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I wanted to do that. So the, where I'm working now, it's nice because that's not an expectation. Um, cool. And so, I mean, I can, I guess. And if they're looking, I, I'll probably try. And there's incentives for that, but it's not like the focus of, of what you're, of how you're going to get promoted. Like if you wanted to get promoted yeah. to America, you get recruit. which is there's nothing wrong with that because people that can recruit and love recruiting, great. But I just, sure. I'm, I'm just more of like a salesperson than a recruiter. Same. And I know it's the same thing. I, I get it, but it's managing people is just harder um, than just a 20 minute conversation with someone on the phone and then moving on to the next person, right? So um, yeah, I, I love the environment uh, where I'm at and it's, it's cool. So I, I really, it was a lucky break that I caught into into this company so i'm enjoying it a lot aaron uh aaron schaefer i credit a lot of my recruiting success for that number one team at michigan to him i was actually working over in uh over in western michigan which believe it or not is in the city of kalamazoo it's an actual place in michigan <laughs> yeah and and i i moved over my second year of corporate recruiting to the university of michigan in ann arbor and at the time Aaron Schaefer was the only one really doing any recruiting there. So he was the one that I kind of followed uh, at Michigan and, and yeah. showed me how to transition. Cause you know, Michigan's a top five public university. It's a different vibe recruiting there than at Western Michigan, the, the party school of Michigan, you know, yep. it's, it's just, you yep. have to carry yourself differently. You got to do things differently. And Schaefer was the one that kind of showed me the ropes at U of M and, and uh, we had a great partnership during my, my five years up in Michigan. So shout out to him. If you're working with him, you're, you're in good hands. Yeah, he actually, we just got a comment on because Dylan Barr is watching this. And D oh, I, also what work, up, Dylan? <laughs> I, I also work with Dylan. Uh, he said, um, he said, Travis, who wins in a ping pong match? You or Chad Aleo, who also works. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I'd say Chad, but the last game is 23-21. Uh, Oh, it's a it's a tight it's a tight one. He says, "Okay, cool." <laughs> if you have other questions for Travis, feel free to put them in the chat. Uh, Dylan, feel free to barge in whenever you want because you're gonna anyway, probably. And he, he's <laughs> Dylan's actually gonna be on the cast soon. Dylan is actually how I ended up with this job, and so yeah, cool. props to him for sure. Uh, Dylan, uh, you're gonna have big shoes to fill, so I'm sorry in advance, but you know, good luck. I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> this guy's great. I love Dylan. Um, okay, so then hold on, so. That's what you're up to now. So tell me about, this is the question I always want to know. How did you yeah. end up leaving? Why did you end up leaving uh, from Southwestern? Yeah. Was it good? Was it bad? Tell us. Uh, tell but us before the, before we, we do that, can I, can, I, can I talk about tech sales for a second? Oh, heck yeah. Dude, Which is what I'm in? Yeah. Well, just not, oh, not what I do. It's not interesting at all. But I, I think what, what, what I do, I, I, I have become, I would say, a, a self-professing tech sales evangelist for Southwestern alumni. So- <laughs> If you talk to Bernard Chu, who's doing really great, he was at Tableau for a while, now he's a, a director of sales at another tech startup. 
he's in tech. I kind of nudged him that way. If you talk to Stralko, I helped him get the job at MuleSoft that he's in. You talked to Gabby Spragans, I helped her get into MuleSoft earlier. Uh, Nicole, I, ju I just helped her get into Alma. I literally, if you're an alumni and you're listening to this, and you've ever thought, I, you know what? I want to get into tech sales. Call me, like, look me up. I will help you get into tech sales. I think there are not enough yes. Southwestern alumni in technology sales, man. I really don't because this is the difference. Like, I just don't know how to explain. It's a different world. Like in Southwestern, we get pigeonholed, I feel like into this. And I'm going to use some kind of bit, but we get pigeonholed in this B2C mentality where it's like, B2C is business to consumer, which is what we did when we went door to door. We were a business and we sold to individual people. Right. And so there's only like, there's only so many individual people you can do unless you do something online and all of a sudden it's like more, you know, kind of e-commerce, right? But if you're actually just going and talking to people, there's only so much one person is willing to buy from you, right? And at the end of the day, you have to keep such a high volume of like outbounding and calling and having these conversations and doing all these different things. And it's just, it's a grind, right? It's, it's, it's a lot of work. And a lot of these jobs that we get coming out of Southwestern don't have base pay. Maybe it's a small base, but the majority of it's commission. We get sold just like we did in Southwestern to you'll make money someday if you build enough of a business. And it's like, those are fine jobs. I'm not, I'm not talking bad about any job. Do the job you love. But I just wanted to say there's this other world called tech <laughs> startups. And in tech startups, they say, cool, here's your base. And then we're going to double that with commission that you'll make for hitting 100% quota. Here's a ton of benefits. Here's health insurance. Here's snacks. Here's a bunch of days off to go volunteer all around the world. Here's, you know, all the, think of a benefit. At, at ping pong, I could actually maybe be tech because I was playing a shit ton of ping pong at Salesforce every day in the ping pong room. That's <laughs> that's the, that's the a tech world, right? You're working, yeah, a pretty decent, probably 45, maybe 50 hours. It's not 40, right? It's not clock in, clock out, but, you know, you put into a little bit of work. But then imagine this as a sales rep. You sit at your desk and you open your computer and there are, there's a, there's a SDR who people are calling into about your product, who's qualifying them and saying, Hey, do you have the money? Do you have the budget? Do you have the authority? Do you have the need? Okay. Talk to Travis here, hand <laughs> off to Travis. And there's other BDRs who are looking <laughs> at your accounts and going, Travis, who should I call? And you're like, all right, here's our high value accounts. Call these people. Then you got another kid fresh out of college making DAOs, calling accounts, like trying to get meetings for you that way. And so then they hand you those meetings. And you literally just get all these fresh, warm leads coming up being like, hey, we've heard about your company. We know you have great stuff out there on, online about it. Tell us more, like, how can you help us? And then you just do the same thing you do in Southwestern, little cycle of sales. And then you close way bigger deals because it's companies buying them, not individuals. Yeah. You just, it's so much easier to get, let's say, to six figures doing tech sales than, than it is some of the, a bunch of the jobs that alumni just get sucked into. Right. So- at the end of the day, I'm a tech sales evangelist. I think more Southwestern alumni should be a tech sales. It's the same exact thing you do now. It's just easier and there's more benefits. And it's awesome to, to sell, you know, a quarter million dollars in one contract to, to a business, right? And, and make a $50,000 commission check. Like that's sick, especially when your base is enormous already, right? Like that's, that's the world, right? That you can, that you can be yeah. in. So anyways, tech sales, let me know. Happy to, happy to help anyone yeah. break in if they're an alumni. Yeah. Yeah. FYI. So we got another question from Dylan while you were talking about this. Oh, yeah. And I think shout out to Zach Reesberg, who's tuning in. Uh, exactly. another, another legend of recruiting. It's another guy I learned a lot from, from recruiting. So what shout out to Zach. Good to hear from him. Zach, if you have questions for, for Travis, or if you'd like to be on the cast, let me know. Message me. We'd love to have you on, brother. 
Um, so Dylan asks, why do you think people stay in that in that southwestern mentality to take jobs and strictly commission after having their egos fueled in southwestern that they are a sales piece, which they yeah. are. They are, right? Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, obviously, I think there's an incentive company-wide to keep you in a family company, right? DSMs make money, recruiters make money, you know, the, the company makes money. So I think that's one. But if you take that out, even if people leave Southwestern, they're going to these addiction centers, these rev locals, these same type of jobs, right? That are the same kind of mentality, very small base, mostly commissioned, a lot of grind, very transactional, very high volume. And I don't know, man, I, I think it's just because like, you just don't understand what else is out there. I think when you, it's interesting because when you go to school and you, you're, you, you're, you're at some of these maybe schools that we don't necessarily recruit at, say in the Northeast or in California, right? And you graduate in, in San Francisco or in New York and you see all these people in these tech jobs, like closing these big deals, wearing Rolexes, doing their thing. You're kind of like, oh, tech sales, that sounds prestigious. Let's try that. And these people didn't do any books in school. They just had regular degrees, regular summer jobs, but they come in and they learn what they got to do and they're successful. I think a lot of book people could sort of come into that world and do it. But the reason they don't, I think, is lack of either knowledge or opportunity, right? Maybe you got to move to an Austin or a New York or San Francisco and you just don't think about it because that's not where a lot of book people are. Actually, Austin at this point is a hotbed of book kids, but yeah, <laughs> to that point, maybe you just don't think, oh, I'm going to move to San Francisco or New York and like get into tech, but I don't know. On that, like, do you, yeah. I, I think that's also a generational thing because, you know, there's, there's like a certain group of book people who sold who aren't getting into those jobs. It's like the people that sold from like, oh, seven to like 2015 are like all dumping into these like sales jobs that are just like that you're talking about it's just like sure you could be doing so much better elsewhere um and and it's interesting because the, the people that I, I ran into book men who sold you know in the 70s and their trajectory after southwestern was actually super positive they they that first job or two jobs later they got into boom they were gone and, you know, when you run into those people that sold in the 70s and 80s, they're like, oh, I've been with this company for 30 years. So I left sure. Southwestern and now I'm here. And they had a different experience um, leaving Southwestern. So I wonder like that, what that common thread is there. But yeah, that's interesting. That's, a, that's an interesting yeah, I know. Look, I mean, I closed three deals last year, bro, and hit 85% of my quota. Like I, it, what I do is easier than what most of these yeah. jobs are. And I'm just waking, making way more. You know, and obviously it took a while to get here. That wasn't always the case, but like you can, you know, my first year out of Southwestern, I moved to New York and, and, and hit just under six figures, like in tech sales. Like, it's not that I feel like we put right. six figures on a pedestal in Southwestern, but like most people in tech sales, if you, if you start at 60 yeah. and your OTE is 120 okay. and you hit 80% of your quota, you're making six figures like that. It's, it's, you're supposed to do that in tech yes. sales. Right. Like, and, and I feel like in, in, for example, not to name names, but in a certain company that might same sell clothes to human beings, there's probably 30 people that made a hundred <laughs> grand there out of the whole company, you know? And like, it, we put it on, again, on this pedestal where it's like, yeah. it's not that hard in the right industry to make decent money, right? I just feel like for some reason, we just, it's not an option. Yeah. And, and this is true. I don't know if Dylan and, and Zach are still watching and comment on it if you have, but the, that is a topic that we talked about with Steve Thaddeen and Josh Martinez when they were on the cast. And we said that if um, it, 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 there's relatively speaking, especially for the effort that you put in, especially like you guys that were like full timing, at the end of the day, even if you make a hundred grand with the effort and the time and the phone that you spend into it, it's not that much money. It's, it's really the opportunity financially in Southwestern as a career is not, is not as, like put it this way. The point I always make is my brother stays in Southwestern because he loves what he does. He likes helping other people. Really, that's it. 
Because if he wanted to make money, if it was about money, sure. if he did the exact same thing he's doing at where I worked, and I can only speak to where I've worked, if he did it at Primerica where I was working, he'd be a millionaire. Like it just because of how he recruited the, the team that he built, the atmosphere, the culture that he created in his org. And or if they go into like tech stuff, they, they would make so much more money. And they don't even like I think you're right onto something where they don't they just don't know that if you just apply yeah. the same uh, amounts of effort into something else, it could make way, way more money. That's I talked to Hans Hans Schlegel the other day, and I literally was like, "Bro, if if you guys could figure out how to get southwestern people into these tech companies, like tech companies would pay you for this talent. Like they're hiring people fresh out of college with no experience. We've got talented kids that could get on the phones and do the work, and it's it'd be so much easier than what they've been doing for the last few summers. But there's just that disconnect, right? There's not that pipeline. Yeah. Uh, today. That I agree. I, there, there's, yeah. By the way, shout out to Hans. Always, always, always beast. We love Hans. Uh, he, married a, he married a Cadillac, actually, speaking of. Oh, I didn't know that. Laura, right? Yeah, Laura Schlegel, yeah. 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 Um, uh, Dylan's asking, what would you say is awesome about tech sales outside of the money, especially doing business to business? Yeah, I mean, everything. The lifestyle, man. Like, I remember working at working at Salesforce. Actually, ask, uh, Gabby Spragans, Josh Struggle. They have company cards. We talked about Uncle Mark. Like you literally, I would take clients out to these crazy meals. Like you get to expense and travel and go see people. You get quality of life. Like in the office, you got snacks, you got ping pong, you got cold brew on different floors. Like there's a ton of benefits. Um, you know, these little things. I remember they were like, oh yeah, you need headphones? Like put it on the card, like just expense it, whatever, right? Like it's that attitude where, you know, Salesforce just had, they made 5 billion in a quarter, right? You get into one of these big tech companies, they don't care, bro. Money's money to them. So it's like just the lifestyle. It's like super easy. And I remember they did, even at Salesforce, they did volunteer time off where I took seven days and went to Uganda and visited some orphan kids I hadn't seen in 10 years. And um, all of that was just a, you know, it's, it's, I, I would say quality of life. It's fun. It's interesting. You're working with really sharp people who are really intelligent. And, uh, and I think it's, to me, obviously there's people prefer, right? I think not a lot of people would like what I'm doing where you, you know, I'll, I'll go like this, this week, I, I did one day, I did two demos, right? So I think for a lot of people, they would just stress out. Like if they're, the volume <laughs> yeah. is as low of what I'm doing. I, I, there were sometimes last year, I'd go a month without a demo. It's like, woo. But I think at the end of the day, there's a balance. We can still have that like volume and transaction that you like, but in a, a B2B world, which I think is just more interesting because I think for the big shift is what we do in transactionals. We get really good at making an emotional sale, right? We, mm -hmm. we, we capture this emotion for a person. We make them make a decision on this emotional sale, which is awesome. My girlfriend's a tech sales. She does that. She sells a platform for mental health therapists to the therapist. So I hear she has six, seven calls a day talking to therapists, like selling this platform. She loves it. She shoots the shit with them. She hangs out. It's the perfect job for her. So if that's you, that's great. But you could do it in in software and still, you know, make more with the easier, like a better lifestyle, basically, you know. Um, but other than the money, I think it's it's again, it's like that that potential of working in a company where maybe there's some equity and you can have ownership. Maybe maybe you can, you know, go into management without having to literally grind your way and recruit every single person that you manage. And maybe I think at the end of the day, maybe helping businesses solve problems and selling value is a little bit more interesting than just, you know, kind of repeating a sales talk like we did when we went door to door, you know? And I think that's where I went. I just hit that 10 years of transactional sales. I'm like, all right, either I'm going to do something different or I got to do something different in sales, right? So pivot from sales, which I thought about, or do something different in sales. And that was my, all right, let's, let's try the larger stuff. Like just to 
just to switch things up after a while, right? To, to do something more interesting. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's, that's, there you go, Dylan. You're welcome. Uh, I think no, that's, that's, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. And then, so then uh, tying it back into like um, the idea of adding value from a, from a self-cluster example specifically, um, what have you learned that was maybe different that, or was there anything that you learned like in the tech world or in your experience in sales outside of self-clustering since that like kind of went against something that you learned in self-clustering or have you found that like the opposite where like you applied the self-clustering stuff and everyone in the company or around you went, oh, that's really good. I hadn't thought of that. And did you see any of that? Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think there's a little both. I think one thing I've had to unlearn is <laughs> the, what? I'm sorry, Zach Christopher just said, but there's an incentive trip to Brazil. <laughs> right. Yeah, we went to GRG together, man. That was a great trip. It is, uh, it, you know, there's pros and cons, man. Like I said, I'm, I'm not saying anything bad about any job. I just think more more alumni should be in should be in tech sales. I think there should be a, a pipeline when you're alumni and you got friends at a bunch of tech companies that can introduce you to the hiring manager. I think that that should happen. Um, we So to, to answer your question, I think I had to unlearn the rapport piece like that. I, I spent a lot of time on calls trying to build a connection with people. And I think that's important to a degree, but it's not everything. Whereas I think in the transaction world, that's everything. If, you know, likes, like, likes, and people buy from people who they like and that are like them. That's something that's like minuscule because really they can like you, but at the end of the day, if the other platform's better and they've done a better job of convincing them that that value, that's gonna deliver more value to the company, they can like you, but they're gonna go with the other platform, right? So I think you learn a little bit more about how to ask, I would say, like, I would say the, a couple of big things I learned. Number one is asking better questions, right? I would say discovery in Southwestern is very rote. It's like you're asking the same four or five questions really to just get them to answer something you kind of want them to answer anyways, yeah. to then give them, you know, the pitch, right? The it's demo, like yeah. Yeah. funneling them to the pitch is basically what the the, the discovery is. In, in In tech sales, I would say you really have to learn how to like, do real discovery of like what the business issues are, how it's affecting mm. the people, how's it affecting them on a personal level? How's it affecting the business financially? How's it affecting, you know, just in general productivity and what they're doing? All those different types of things, like learning how to really dig into the, the, the pains. But then once you have those pains, the funny part is it's still, that's what this is for. And then, you, you know, showing what you have. Right? <laughs> I understand how you feel. Yeah, exactly. What I found. <laughs> that I still use that for objections, but I think like at the end of the day, there's still some principles that carry over, but I would say, yeah, curiosity and, and asking good questions is something you have to learn. And then I would say deal strategy is big too. Like have we multi-threaded through everyone we could be talking to? Are we talking to IT? Are we talking to security? Are we talking to other oh. stakeholders? Are we, are we, okay, we know that the L&D department likes us, but what's the decision map of this? Is it just L&D? Is it just L&D, HR, yeah. she's signing? Yeah. Or is there someone else? How do we get, how do we access them, right? Like all of that kind of, what can we do right now in this week to differentiate ourselves from all the other competitors that are going for this deal, right? All those types of like deal strategy, I'm still getting better at and, and learning yeah. how to do, but that you and, don't really have to think about that because it's a volume game, right? You get one right. shot and you move on. And here I'm nurturing some of these sales for three months, four months, six months, yeah. nine months. How do I keep, you know, nurturing them and sending them info that they'll value and keeping top of mind so that when that happens, they think of me like all that is, is stuff we don't really have to do. That's interesting. There, that kind of goes into, or maybe that relates to the idea, or maybe another way of saying that is 
like finding who the decision maker is when you're going into a business transaction instead of like it's for example when you have to find out that you actually needed to talk to your dad or you're talking to the dad yeah, and exactly to mom. that same 100%. idea of like figuring out who where does the buck stop and who's the who's the person that can say yes to this yes. um and then in the meantime what do i need to send it or talk to through other people to be able to um get that yes at the end of the stop exactly how do you activate your champion that you have a good relationship and to introduce you to the right people and champion you internally right all that stuff is mm -hmm. is things that you learn how to do interesting and we didn't have to really do that much in southwestern so that's it that's a cool thing to have learned and picked up that kind of ch challenges what you know and help, at the end ultimately it helps you grow so that's that's awesome i think so i think um, so we have a question or we have a comment by uh katie aiken She's, oh, what's uh, up, Katie? Yeah, shout out to you. Uh, Travis, your plug-in text goes so much. I just have to plug commercial real estate where it's hey. really bad. <laughs> but glad you're happy in what you're doing. Good to see you, she says. So awesome. I saw I saw her at the uh, the Amber Vogue Memorial run maybe a year or two ago, uh, up in Oxford, Ohio. So good to hear from you, Katie. I totally agree. I have friends in Nashville during commercial real estate. Whoo! It is uh from a from a money standpoint, they people do well in that. So if uh, if that's your thing, do it. I think more more southwest people should be in real estate. Um, all the above. Cool, 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 cool. Awesome, man. Uh, so then we were heading towards why you left. Let's let's turn this back into yeah, southwestern, okay, southwestern public. <laughs> but so my, honestly, sorry, one last thing. Yeah, last shout me. out, shout out to anybody who's listening now. Uh, uh, if you need a hookup for tech sales opportunities. Uh, contact Travis, hit him up on Facebook or LinkedIn or any social LinkedIn, media. Yeah. Yeah, LinkedIn. Um, mm -hmm. and just to, I, cause I do want this to be a good place for uh, alumni to plug what they're doing now. And I think that's a cool, cool. benefit for alumni to come and speak. Um, and so yeah, if you're, if you're looking for tech sales, Travis Lopez is the man to go to for that um, before we start transitioning into, uh, into back into Southwestern talk and, 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 and feel free to like insert anything from what you're doing now into these conversations as well to compare cool. it's it's i think that adds value to anybody watching um and to me that's more important to add value to our audience and just like have pony stories although those are good too sure. right it's like a good balance <laughs> a good balance is important i think yeah um, for sure um yeah so tell me a little bit about like the things about southwestern that made you kind of walk out uh good bad yeah. ugly. give me the give me the skinny well, I think at the end of the day, you sell for 10 summers, you're not a DSM. At that point, you're walking out, right? I think I think that was that's the be all end all. I got caught, uh, and you know, not to blame anyone, but I got caught in a in a mentality shift that really just happened one year and it was the it was the worst year for it to happen for me. So I I had this kind of roller coaster ride in Southwestern where I'd been working for for nine years and I brought I brought a good team. We were running to Oregon Charlotte. And I found out midsummer, Sheridan came on a Sunday and pulled me aside. We like went and hung out and he was like, hey man, I'm leaving Southwestern, right? I'm going to, you know, uh, I think Tableau is where he was going. And so he basically told me, you know, I was, I was running to Oregon Charlotte and he said, hey, I'm leaving this summer. Uh, I'm trying to get it all set up basically to where like, you can sort of step up into the Cadillac DSM role. Uh, you've been doing a lot of work over the last nine years. I think you're the right next person. Um, like basically you made it right. And I, I literally just had, I was walking on clouds that week. I was like, you know, there's this, uh, there's a song by logic where he talks about how hard he's been working his whole life. And then he finally makes it. And it's, you know, he has that, that feeling. And, uh, and I literally felt that for like a two week span until my VP came down and visited me, Chris Samuels. And he basically was like, yeah, um, Sheridan is leaving, but, we, uh, 
we're basically going to have me, who he'd been in South Australia at that point for 20 years, 25 years, take over as DSM of the Cadillacs for one more year. You can go recruit for the sixth time and, you know, do well in recruiting. And then we'll see, you know, what, what the next summer looks like for things. So that set up my summer number 10. I have my worst week ever that next week, uh, if you can imagine. Of course, that's uh, rough, man. It was brutal. So summer number 10, I'm like, all right, let's do this. I basically got everyone together uh, from my Cadillac group. We moved out to Southern California. Uh, I was basically running UCLA down to UCSD, everything in between Biola, Point Loma, SDSU, that whole region. Uh, I was helping Liz Brown and the Wheaton people up there. Obviously, I'd still a few people at Michigan and Georgia Tech, right? So I was, I was building this, you know, at that time, whatever, 50, 55,000 unit base, something like that. And, uh, and then unfortunately, one of my other VPs in my group, a man named Lester Crafton, had this great idea to just throw everything out about recruiting that we've been doing for the last five years that a lot of people weren't good at. I was actually relatively good. I'd had, as you just talked about, some pretty decent yeah. results yeah. with yeah, the sure. traditional recruiting system. Yeah, you were killing but it. He basically was like, we're not doing any of that. We're doing this thing called lead and it's gonna be totally different and it's nothing uh, like what we've been doing before. And I, I, I will tell you, I just, I was the worst lead person ever. I brought zero people into my 10th summer because I couldn't figure out how to like not recruit. And then all of a sudden kind of bait and switch and, and, and bring people for the summer. I, I just, I was good at the old way. I, I was trying to drink the Kool-Aid and do things the right way and, and follow my leadership's lead and not just be a lone wolf doing things the way I wanted to do it. And it just, it, I was the worst at recruiting that year. Um, so coming in, that was pretty brutal. But then, you know, in spite of that, the rest of the org and everyone that, that, that I was helping did super well. The Cadillacs actually had the, the biggest natural base that year in all of lead. Uh, but then, yeah, after that, you know, Lester left, KJ left, Sheridan had left the year before. Basically, like there was, it was, you know, John Kerry left, everyone left, basically. Exodus, yeah. That was also your Grant Greeter left for yeah. the force. And, Not for and, Leeds. Fall, and Yvette right? was <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. it was the big Exodus. And unfortunately, at that point, it was just like, well, Matt and Aaron are DSMs. There's really only enough units here in this, in this entire lead base for two people. We're not going to promote a third. So yeah, that was it. You know, don't let the don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. You know, thanks for your service. And that Gone. was that. Damn. That was it. Damn. We'd rather you didn't come to a weekend. Have a good life. So that was that yeah. was that. Did you hear from any of them again? Do you still? Yeah, yeah. I anybody? talked to. I talked to. I saw. I saw Schaefer recently up here in in New York. I think I mentioned. I saw. I saw, I called Chris like when Craig passed away. So you know, I still oh, call yeah. him friendly with uh with people. No no hard feelings. That's good. Well, you know, it's hard to, it is what it is kind of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I find that most alumni are like that where it's just like, well, because in my opinion, I've always said, I think it's the best in, in, to what you were saying earlier about how everybody would be pretty good at telling or would be okay at telling books. I think everyone should do it just because of the idea that it's a pretty good internship for what you get out of it, right? Like you're not necessarily the money, but the experience as a college kid, what else are you going to do that that's going to help build the resume sure. that ended up helping you, right? And all those things are actually very important. Maybe the college credit now, but it's not a good career, right? It's a great internship. It's not the best. It's not the best career, right? Like most sure. most people, I mean, they don't, they they go for a lot of summers. They they don't end up being in DSM, and they kind of end up in this area where it's like, hey, I still value what I got. Like I'm still, I would still thank my the guy that recruited me, 
right? Yeah. For sure. But I don't want to solve. I don't oh, I, I lived with the guy that recruited me for four years out of my six years in New York. And I just moved out from Simba's apartment uh, oh, yeah. like a couple <laughs> months ago. Yeah, so I definitely. I'm, I'm best friends with the guy that recruited me. But I would say, funny enough, actually, I think I'm the only person in Southwestern history that was recruited by someone that ended up being the that person's OL later on in their career. Oh, that's super. Like he was in my base, even though I rec he recruited me, he ended up as, as a student manager in my base. That's interesting. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Yeah, hell yeah. Because um, he took <laughs> like a summer off and then when he came back, I was the, you know, like I was, yeah, I was it made sense yeah. for him to work with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, all right, that's, that is the reason you left. Cool. And do you, yeah, feel, so that was that. do you feel that you stayed one summer too long? That's when I come in, not not everyone, but it's been a common thread in, in the, in the people that yeah. we've talked to. You know, what's interesting. I mean, I think there is this, one of my old DSMs said, it's better to leave one summer too early than one summer too late. Yes. Oh, my and God. I just think, I think that's the best Southwestern advice that maybe I ever received. And unfortunately I didn't heed it. Um, but yeah, here's the deal. I think there's a sweet spot, Andres. I think it's, three to six summers. That's a sweet spot. Yeah. Everyone that I know that did three to six summers loved it. I mean, had a great experience, did first year student manager. Oh, well, maybe got their feet well with corporate recruiting. And then they dipped and they're not far enough down the rabbit hole there that, that there's all the like bullshit when you leave, you know? Yeah. And, and so I think that's the best case scenario. And I would even say from a career standpoint, it's the best case scenario because when you go from, you know, first year, to what in, in sales world we would call a team lead, which is what we do as a student manager, right? Right. To then a sales manager, which is what you are when you're a corporate recruiter. Yep. At that point, from me being sales manager my first year corporate recruiting to sales manager my sixth year, there's no new additional story for me to tell career-wise. I Even though I went from, AS, from not ASL to ASL to FSL, those words don't mean anything. My job was the same every year. Right. So for six years, I did not build a better story for myself career-wise. Whereas, whereas mm -hmm. people who do one, maybe two summers, like let's say I had left after my number one team in 2010. That was my best year income-wise in Southwestern. Yep. And I would have gone out and then got the job that I got four years later at that time. So today I'd be four years deeper in my career where and I am. You'd be murdering it. Right? Yeah. So I think, I think for me, there's, unless you're like Danny and you're a lifer and you're going to be a DSM, which I guess at the time I thought I was. Um, but I, I think in general, if I had a kid, I would encourage them to do three to five summers and then, you know, move on with, you yes. know, with, with what you're doing. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. A, I think that's a productive, incredible alumni. I think there'd be a lot of really happy people. Everyone I recruited that did three to five summers is effusive. They loved it. No bitterness. It was great. But I think for everyone that stays more than five or six, it's really hard to leave on a positive note. That's my experience. Yeah, and that, that seems to be a very common common thread. Yeah, it's a deal. Um, especially for the people that had that mo that number of summers and started around the 07, 08. Yeah, um, 05 for me, but yeah. Yeah, or so like in that mid 2000s, I should say. Like there was like mid a- Mid-90s, I think is, is the right way to say that. Yeah, did you say mid nineties? Mid nineties, yeah. It's called it's called the odds. It's called the odds, but people say the not the nineties. Yeah, the nineties. I like that. Yeah, mid nineties. Let's let's make that catch on. I like that. It's, it's probably it's probably already catching on in New York, and I'm in Nebraska. 
I'm 30, I'm 30 months behind it. All the cool trends. Sure. I'm still saying things are fire. Pop you know? smoke will get out there. Naughties will get out there. It's all coming. Pop smoke. Yeah. Don't worry. You'll hear about it in 30, 30 months or whatever. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll know. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly. Um, yep. I got a question for you. Just any funny, totally silly question, but do you have a favorite advanced sales that you still listen to at all? Cause I do. <laughs> uh, Rose and Zizzy. Yeah. Yeah, Rosen Zizzy, hundred percent. Uh, uh, what it, he he ain't the Dalai Lama, but when your butt's in a slama, he's a bad yeah, mama jamma. Jam, you know, driver. that's it, man. <laughs> I'll never forget. Like I, I I've always had. I always think about that where it's like, where it's like. Uh, like I'm gonna try to do laser beam intensity, is staring so deep into Miss Jones's eyes, that you wouldn't notice an earthquake going on. While a train went through the living room at the same time, that's a that that's, that's laser beam intensity. <laughs> oh so, man, what a great what! That's not even he doesn't really go into anything at all. But that's that's the essence. That that's the best sales I've ever heard. Especially especially Zizzy's like essence of telling those stories. That's the vibe I want on the podcast. Yeah. It's so good. If she neg, shake a leg, get on down the road. You know, like it's, it's, I told her, I told her priceless sound bites for her wine because I ain't gonna take that no more. Yeah, it's so good. It's like he goes, he goes, and that he goes, oh, you have a daughter? Oh, cool. And then she gave me a check for nine hundred dollars. For nine hundred dollars. <laughs> so good, so good, so Absolutely. good. Oh man, oh. That's a good one. I, I always liked uh, Ron Alfred's. Cool. Was, 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 was legendary. And then there I was... think we we connect with the ones that kind of like sell like we did, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming so you probably were just a little bit more professional than I was on the book field if you were listening to Alfred. But yeah, he was too <laughs> smooth, man. I'm a, I'm a goofy dude. You know, I feel like you got that smooth. But but yeah, uh, I, I was just, I was a goofy ass Bill Zizzy guy, you know. Tell me tell me about some. Did you mess with Mrs. Jones? You had to mess with Mrs. Jones over ten years. Tell me some of your favorites. Oh man, um, yeah, we've had we've had some some wild things, man. Did I mess? Yeah. So my so this is a good one. Uh, I would love, especially on follow days, I would love to do what we called the um, the wind uh, wind chime enthusiast fan club. So what you would do is you would basically you would you would you would knock on the door. And then they, you know, before you knocked, you'd examine their wind chime that they had on the on the patio, so you could see like you know the brand oh and God. you know these different things. And let me just do some googling because it's been a while. I've been out of the game here for a minute. Okay, cool. <laughs> so you basically you go over there and you go, um, yeah, Echo wind chimes. I remember that. Cool. So basically, you would go, you would go over oh, and you'd look into God. it and you see what what's up, and then you come back and you're. Uh, and you basically, you knock on the door and then you, you know, she comes to the door, you're like, Hey, are you, you know, you the mom, you're great. I'm Travis. And you know, I'm the book man here in, uh, here, here in New York, but it, sorry, I, I apologize uh, to, to just bring this up, but is that your wind chime, right? You're on the porch. <laughs> is that your wind chime? <laughs> invariably they'll be like yeah yeah it's my witch i'm like wow and you're like you set your you set your stuff oh, down you're like wow man God. i'm sorry but this this is your winch you let me ask you and this is funny because you're always like did you buy that or or was that given to you as a gift 90 percent of the time it was given as a gift right and i go as a gift i'm like my goodness you've got generous friends or family i'll tell you what 
this is, have you looked at this recently? And I'll, I'll walk them over. This is actually a pitch perfect. It's the echo wind chime model. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but the, the timber, the timber on these, you grab your pen, you know, the, the timber on these is really nice. Um, you, you can hear it. Watch, listen, listen, listen. Can you, can you, can you, can you, do you hear that? No. Do you, listen, listen. Do you, do you have clear, do you hear the clarity in that note? And let me ask you, how how often do you maintenance these? And you'd 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 stick your finger up in there and invariably it's dirty. It's like, oh, you're letting it get dirty. You're really affecting the sound quality. I'll tell you, so I'm a bit of a wind chime enthusiast. My name's Travis. I, you 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 probably heard of us. It's windchimeenthusiasm.com. But I, I want to talk about maintenance here. How often do you take these in and clean them? You know, man, you're really, you're really you're sacrificing sound quality. You can watch, listen, listen to this, and you you know, you clean it out, then you now listen, now listen. And they're like, do you hear yeah. the difference? Do you hear the difference? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got to clean these things. It's really not that hard. I, there's a lot of tools on windchimeenthusiasm.com. You can buy the other the things, but man, this is great. The Echo Windchime. Honestly, I mean, I'd say it's top three for me. You know, Echo, you got your North Countries, and you got your Corinthian Bells. But yeah, I mean, these are these are top three. These are top oh three. Oh so, my and God. And I'd be like, cool. Anyways, have a great day. And you just see what. No <laughs> fucking way. That's, I had never heard of that. That's gold. Yeah. Windchimeenthusiasm.com. Oh, I hope some bad. people type that in. I have no idea what it leads to. Windchimeenthusiasm. That is, oh man. <laughs> oh, I, uh, my God, brother and I, it. my brother and I, you should create one. My brother and I, <laughs> and just have it not be about windchimes at all. Sure. <laughs> my, uh, my brother and I used to like pretend that we, I was an interpreter. That's, that's that was some of the most fun I ever had was we were, <laughs> you know, hey, are you? So you would speak Spanish and yeah. he would. Yeah, are you the mom of the house? This is Danny. Uh, he speaks yeah. Spanish only, but he's working really hard. He's the one that's been sitting down with all the families uh, talking to him, right? And then I'd look at him and he'd say something in Spanish. Sometimes he would say something completely <laughs> just like in Spanish, he'd say something like, God, this, this lady's got the ugliest kid or something, like just something funny. Just sure. And be like, <clears throat> And, uh, since, uh, and uh, so he were he was talking to the Johnsons and the, and just trying to keep it straight, dude. It for a while we did the one where Mark Rao talked about being mute. We did that general stuff. So, but that windchime enthusiast is gold. I'm gonna have to tell my brother. That's <laughs> so good. It's, it's so a good, good one. It's a good. Just mix it up, man. And, and actually, you can even do that. And so, so anyways, yeah. Let me let me just grab this. So, like I said, I'm the book man, and you just go back to go your back. Like that oh. never happened. Like it. You could just, it's it's just fun, man. That's gold. First, just love it when they're behind you. That's gold. That's gold. Yeah. Did you ever, uh, did you, did you ever uh, do anything fun? Not, not necessarily off schedule, but did you ever have one of those moments? And because, and I'm only saying this because Shane Hertzig talked about this. He goes, there was times where you, you didn't need to be off schedule, but the experience was so freaking awesome that you're like, I got to do this. And so, for example, Victoria Olas talked about how she sold to the family and then they took her on an airplane ride. Like, it's like, you don't want to turn that uh, You got to go do that. Did you ever of course. Like, that? like I, I went horseback riding with a family one time because they're like, you want to go see your horses? And I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. So anything like that did you ever do or not so much? And Man. if so, tell us about that. I think for me, I, I'm I'm a, and my girlfriend, I'm a huge food guy, man. Like food's my weak spot. So I would say something I learned as the summers went on was that if someone offers you a beer, you always say yes. And uh, something else because they'll they'll definitely buy if you're drinking beer with them together. Yes. And then number two was I I think I have had like I I remember this uh, this family I was in um, D.C. suburbs in Northern Virginia, um, 
Loudoun County. And I was in this, this suburb called Ashburn. And if you, you Google, it's just like, you know, it's cookie cutter, just big brick for as far as the eye can see in, in yep. Northern Virginia, right? And the place where I was working, there was actually a lot of both Indian and like Pakistani Bangladesh, Bengali family, Bangladeshi. And so uh, one of the things that people do during the summer, which you're probably aware of if you're Muslim and you're, you're really practicing is you do Ramadan where you basically fast for a bunch of days where you can't eat if the sun's in the sky, essentially. Yeah. And yep. what they do is at the end, when the sun sets, there's this enormous like break yeah. fast where you have this Ramadan meal. And I didn't know this, but culturally, if someone is like, part of Ramadan is like hospitality and basically like doing well by others in your community or whatever. So I'll never forget, I happened to be selling this family. We did this whole thing. They bought some books for their kids. And then they're like, hey, by the way, we are breaking fast for Ramadan. Would you like to break oh. fast with us? And I was like, fuck yes. Like, <laughs> I love see, like Indian food. Let's do, do it. Do I want an awesome experience? Pakistani, Bangladesh, let's yes. do it. So, they, so we went in there and there's this whole ceremony. And then you just, there's literally just plates upon plates upon plates of curries and, you know, like falafel and just all of oh. this amazing kind of that, oh, that no. vibe. Um, not falafel, that's Mediterranean. I don't know why I said that, but the, the subcontinent vibe, you know, whatever. Yeah. So that type of stuff. And it was, yeah, it, it was awesome. That was like a really unique experience. But I feel like yeah. that, that's just every day on the book field, you know, like you, yeah. you, you, if you keep your eyes open, you can find some really unique and interesting experiences, you know? Yeah, for real. That, there's always, there's always, uh, if you, that is one of the things I learned from Southwestern music. It's not a, that, that's everywhere if you know how to look for it. Uh, yeah, that totally. kind of thing all the time and and missing <clears throat> one of the things that i i enjoyed that i think i i'm glad i did was i didn't let myself miss those moments for the sake cool. of 30 demos you know what i'm saying yeah um, and it was such a great i think that's what made my experience in self-pushing probably the best is because those are the things you carry with you right totally I can't tell you what i sold on whatever day on whatever month or whatever summer but i can tell you about the you know the lady who after I, I had sold her everything. She, she invited me to dinner and it was like the day I had forgotten my lunch. So it was like little stories that happened to everyone that you're just like, wow, this is so cool that we're doing this. And so it gets you through the days, you know? Yeah. And in that connection with people, I think just how yeah. to like, how to be a human being to others. I think that was some of the best stuff that I, that I got. That's cool. So, okay. So then work, work with me. Cause you told me, okay, we got 10 summers. What, what I'm thinking of was we're going to have to end up you're gonna end up one of being one of those kind of like Brandon because he sold ten summers too, and we can still talk for a while if you want. But um, you, you're gonna have to come back again and do some more. So it's just ten summers is a lot, man. <laughs> like, um, so tell me about some of, your favorite, some of your favorite, like either funny stories, uh, 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 funny HQ stories, funny Sizzler stories, anything like that that you remember. You're like, dude, this doesn't happen in any other company. But oh yeah, you know those crazy ones. <laughs> That's funny. We used to, so the Cadillacs had this tradition in Mexico. Uh, we did, we went to Puerto Vallarta a couple of times and we would basically one day we would have this day trip where we rent these, you know, imagine those Jeeps with like no doors, no top, like just, you know, just basically these shells of Jeeps. And we would drive up like the cliff face to the, to kind of the South and, and a little bit East of Puerto Vallarta into this place called Chico's Paradise, which was a restaurant slash like Agaviria slash the place where they filmed the predator slash this waterfall oh, you could jump off of and like swim around in. And we would just have these epic days where we'd just be tooling around in Jeeps and, you know, go do this thing. And it was funny. I, 
I'll never forget because one of the guys that I recruited, he might be listening. His name's Xander, Xander Van Gogh. He works over at LinkedIn now. And he uh, he was at Michigan and he was this, he's, you know, like I used to, like when you just respect some people you recruit, like, man, these people are legit. He's one of those people. Like I learned as much from him as he learned from me. He was a guy who grew up like kind of in the, in the hood of Detroit. He got into a charter school, like based on grades. His parents kicked him out. He lived with his grandma for a while, basically lived on his own for like the last year of high school. In spite of all that, got into Michigan, which is a, a pretty tough thing to do. Yeah. And walked onto the football team there and played football for his freshman year there. Damn. So just like started a grocery delivery business for all the rich kids in Michigan, just like a hustler. They called him the, the juice guy at school because he would bring juice, like little Kool-Aid packets, like sell it in water bottles to kids <laughs> like at, at school, right? So his name's Xander and he he's this, uh, he's actually, he was a black first year who basically, as far as I know, was the top producing black first year in that 10 year span that I was there. He sold like 2,700 units, something like that his first summer, which again, as a, as a black kid in their first summer is pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this dude's talented, he works hard, he does his thing. So we go to Sizzler and we, we drive up, you know, Jeeps and blah, 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 et cetera. And he's like, <laughs> and by the way, when you're at Chico's Paradise, there's this guy, this this Mexican dude that, let's say you're here, waterfall, jump off lake, and then other cliffs up here, and then there's a there's a tree on this cliff, and this Mexican dude does these like mad jumps off the tree up there into the water, like you know four or five times as tall as you are. He's doing some crazy, and he does the whole performance, and he blindfolds himself and like still does it. You know, he does this. It's this whole thing, right? So we're watching this performance or whatever, and we're like, all right, let's jump out the waterfall, and I'll never forget my buddy Xander. He looks at me, he goes, yo, Travis. He's like, dog, I can't swim, bro. I'm like, yeah, bro. I know for real. Like it's no big deal. It's just like, we're jumping there. The water's not too bad. It's, you know, it's whatever. He's like, for real? Cause yeah, I can't really swim. I'm like, no, it's, it's chill, dude. You just jump in. We're all right there. You know, you just kind of pop oh, out, whatever it was. I didn't connect. I didn't connect. I was like, and he told me I just didn't connect. I was like, yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. Just jump in. Oh, so literally, dude jumps in. He's a, you know, he's this buff, like kind of linebacker looking dude. He jumps in and immediately just starts like drowning, like a dead ass, bro, just fucking drowning. <laughs> so, so we're like, we're like all like, yeah, like Xander, you did it, you jumped off, and then we're all like, oh shit, it, it hits us like, oh, he literally cannot swim at. All not what and the crazy part is like he trusted all of us but he still jumped <laughs> in the water like that's the level you have for your ol like in southwest like oh conference. jump in the water fuck yeah like i your can't conference. swim but i'm gonna you say i can do it i'm gonna do it so he jumps in he starts immediately drowning mexican dude jumps in i jump in like we're both like grabbing him and pulling him off <laughs> it was just one of those moments of like oh my god man. that type of stuff doesn't <laughs> happen at many other companies you know yeah nothing um, like that Nothing that's like one that. example i'll never forget the the summer we were in minnesota twin cities i actually sold there three times i love minnesota it was, it was some of my best years my favorite year 2012 we had this great org i mentioned the team and uh we we ended up having one week and i tried to execute it. it it takes the right org in the right place at the right moment i tried to do it again later and it just didn't work when there's not buy-in but we had the right org it was a great org and it was basically like for one week before the Sunday meeting, we're going to a twins game on the Sunday meeting. So your goal for the week, obviously, you know, whatever, 30 demos, 80 hours, but the most important thing for that week That's is that ticket. you know that you, we already have oh. tickets to the game. You have to oh. ask every single person you sit down with 
if they have extra twins gear that they don't use that they oh, wouldn't mind giving to you yeah. because we're all from out of state, but we want to go support the twins and like look like locals and do this whole thing. Hell yeah. So it escalated. We'd be sharing like weekly calls and be like, oh, you know, this person got a jersey. This person got the cowboy hat with the twins. And like, it just escalated. We had people with t-shirts with whatever, all this different stuff. And so we went and we just took the most epic org photo in front of like Twin Stadium yeah. where like every one of us is decked out like the locals in Twins gear. That beast was a really fun, mode. that was a fun Sunday meeting. That, um, that's beast mode. That reminds me of that. Have you heard that Mark Rouse story about when they went and saw Florida play basketball? No. Bro, I got to share this story with you. Tell me. It's not my story. It's Mark Rouse's story. But the, okay. hearing him tell it is probably worth it, even if you know what happens. But basically, Florida, 2007 or something, Mark was still like an OL or a DSM. I don't remember the exact the point. is He was going to take some him and some of the guys on his team to drive from Florida to Nashville or Atlanta, long drive, where they were going to be playing those uh, final championship game whatever i think it was seven or eight whatever anyway so they get up there and they're like well on the way like three or four hours three or four hours in or whatever and one of them goes hey did you guys get the tickets and they're like no what what are you talking about you're supposed to get the tickets and they're like no we don't i don't have the fucking tickets point is nobody bought it so they get to atlanta whatever and <clears throat> the game's like in three hours sure and like they're like shit what do we do he goes here's what we're gonna do we're just gonna go around and we're going to just scout some tickets and then upsell those and then just keep going until we get some good tickets. Maybe get some that are close together. We'll see everybody. Everybody goes split. We have a, they all had cash on them, like a significant amount of cash on them uh, or, or money to be able to do this. And so they, there was like four of them. They spread out. Well, they come back. They had like each found four tickets. So they had like 30 total tickets or something like that for like the four. <laughs> And they started going. They something about going to like different bouncers at different concierges to like try to like find places to get these tickets. They ended up finding four like second row behind floor seats, center field, center court, to the final to watch Florida win. And they ended up selling the rest of the tickets because everybody was trying to get fucking tickets. It was the sure. final final of March Madness, and so they ended up making like eight grand. Each once it was all said and, and done, and got to sit in the best seats in the house and watch the whole game, and then drove back. And it was like only book people. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know who else would do that. That is such a crazy way to I'm tell. You, that's you gotta hear him tell the whole details because he goes into like that. all the things that he said. But it was super super fun. That's cool. I spent Halloween with uh, with Kelsey Rao. She was up here. She's good friends with my friend Gabby here in the city. So I hang out oh. with Kelsey quite a bit. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Kelsey Rao. Yeah, I remember. Is yeah. it right, what about? Gabby Hartman or a different Gabby? Uh, Gab's is in the say she's one of my best friends, but Gabby uh, Spraggett, she's a young, younger book book woman, maybe uh, two or three summers, like in the around when Kelsey sold, basically, like later cool. later on. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you ever? And I want to keep going on, on funny stories, but this also yeah. did, you, did you ever go? Uh, did you ever play bigger and better? Yes, to, I did. You, I. I've never, I think a tetherball set was my biggest thing I ever got. Like, uh, you know, with the pole and the, the ball. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's it. But I, I never, I was like, I wasn't the best at that type of stuff. I had a guy named Jeff Kitchen who still lives here in New York. He's a good friend of mine. He was always the best at this, like having fun type stuff. I didn't really, it's weird to think about, but I think my mentality was more, it was less about having fun 
like like for example nicole my girlfriend had so much fun on the boat and there's some people that do i feel like you're one of those you know where you just yeah, sort of there in the moment and just like experiencing all the things and whatever for me it was more just like i don't even know how to how to put it man i think at the end of the day i think after 10 summers you just sort of punch in you do your job you punch out like that's how right. it felt it was very like all right i just yeah. go and i'm trying to like almost like when you play golf where you're, you're trying to just beat your best every day when you, when yep. you golf, you know, nine yeah. holes. So I don't know if that's the right analogy, but I, I wasn't like the most fun. I, you followed me to learn how to, how to do the know, job, not let things affect you and, and, yeah. you know, learn advanced sales, but I wasn't the like, Oh, you're not having fun. Go follow Travis. He'll teach you how to have fun. On the job. That was <laughs> that like was always funny. other people. Yeah. That wasn't me. You were, you were semi, semi, semi Southwestern. You were the, 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 kind the of. it's, it's not going to come as a shock to you when I say that, I was more of a quality over quantity guy and I uh, on the book field as well. So I, I would never, I was very bad at getting like the 30 demos, or whatever, but I get, you know, nine, six, three, four customers. And I just sold, yeah. sold really big packages. Yeah. At the end of the day, nobody's going to give a shit if you're producing PC or, or whatever. At the end of the day, yeah, you hit, you hit 400, 500, 600, yeah. you know, whatever, a thousand units, no one's going to say anything to you. So yeah, that's cool. Exactly. We, uh, I, on a tangent, I saw this girl who did the bigger and better game uh, as part of like a TikTok thing, and okay. and she ended up with like a bunch of shit. And I was thinking it'd be cool to do bigger and better thing for like a family in need, and then like just find ways to support them through the bigger and better yeah. stuff. That'd be fun. Um, so hold on. So then you were telling me about some funny stories. You got give me some like some like cool, uh, and then they bought stories. Do you have any like some like I can't believe that happened, but that happened. Almost not the pony story, but like some, yeah, some, some of those that you're like, oh, that was funny. And if you're, ben if you're, fun. if you're thinking of one, I'll tell you one. What do you think? Yeah, tell me. Um, guy had an excavator. He was in construction. I never used an excavator in my life. I don't know how we got in the topic. And I was like, I've always wanted to like learn how to use one of those. He's like, come here. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we'd already shown the books. Guy was probably not gonna <laughs> buy. But he, we're in that weird, like, kind of, like, trying to close him. But if I do this right, he probably would buy. And if I don't, he's not. But it's okay. Only been here for okay. 10 15 minutes. Dad, that got to direct to the point. What the fuck you got? How much does it cost? Let me see it, right? That guy. No reports, straight up. Sure. And I'm like, can I? And he was like, come here. So he should just, I sit down. And I'm like, start, you know, doing the plan of thing. And I'm like, so how do you, like, hire people to do this? And he goes, well, like, I give them a test. If they can pick up a quarter or an egg with with the with it then yeah and then i'm like go get an egg <laughs> he's like he's like okay so he got an egg uh and i slowly like he's walking me through it but i was like just doing my thing and i freaking picked it up dude and yeah I bet, yeah and he i passed bet the him, test yeah and then he's like what are you selling again so i showed him the books again he paid more attention and he just like dropped the cash and, and ended up buying and then he bought that's amazing <laughs> yeah. and then he man um i'll be honest man i don't i don't know that i really remember any of those type of stories that's, that's, uh that's i okay. think i'll tell you i'll tell you about my first 200 unit day i remember that that's not what you asked yes. but no, since we're works. on the topic that works that cool stories uh, like that bring them all in yeah i'll never forget there's some things you never forget stuff yes. like what you're talking about i've forgotten but there's some things you never forget i would say uh well a couple things so my, my first summer i think i am the so yeah a couple little all right so just how about interesting stories right so because because yeah. i uh 
funny enough, remember when I told you about my recruitment and then the red flags at sales school? It'll come as no surprise to you that I sold uh, all of 11 units my first week on the book field. Red flag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I left this kid in Nashville. Yep, yep. Eleven <laughs> units. I was awful, and um, and it was funny because my student manager Simba came and walked with me. That was back in the day where you would actually go walk with the first year in their territory. You know, when you did it, which I think there's some value to. I did later on yeah. in my career, but um, so he came and walked with me. And the day he came to walk with me, I sold a three book set, and he sold zero. So he goes back to OL and goes, man, dude, it's tough. Everyone speaks Spanish. Like, it's very hard to sell here. So my OL was actually grew up as a missionary kid in Spain. So he comes. So this time I'm like, all right, let's watch this guy get crushed. And then maybe I'll get better territory. And he just like, Slow. he was the type of person. He ran to every door. He like, you know, he was just Sammy Southwestern. And he, yeah, he sold eight customers in my territory while I watched, which was more than me plus my manager had sold in my territory over the last week and a half. And so that was the moment where it was like, I think for me, where I realized, oh, I can keep like trying to be right and this doesn't work and I suck. Or I can just like try to embrace the job for everything it is. And we used to put this like we did the dollar in the shower. This is like old school. Yeah. And next, yeah, yeah. After he after I worked with them, we had a Sunday meeting because I went like I think it was 11 units and then like 90 units or some week two, like whatever. And and then week three, Monday, I won the dollar in the shower like on Monday morning. And then I hit like 300 units that week and then like didn't look back basically for like the summer. Oh. I think that I never went below that again. But that was like, it was that mentality shift of having like the right OL just come and like show you, hey, you can do it. You know, follow all these fundamentals, execute this Stevie Brown, shout out to Stevie and, and Liz. But that was, um, that was my kind of what turned the corner for me. And I remember going up to a door, it had this ramp my first summer and I knocked on it. I never hear this combo. This guy comes with a wheelchair to the door. So I kind of, it was this, you know, California wooden screen door, just like the screen. So I kind of crouched down to get on their level, you know, and, and I start talking. He doesn't have kids, et cetera. He's asking me about what I'm doing, whatever. And we basically just get in this really real combo. And yeah. he's talking about, yeah, you know, I've been in a wheelchair for a long time, but you know, it doesn't, it doesn't let me, you know, it doesn't keep me from doing anything. You know, I, I try to live my life and et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you know, things happen to you, you can't control them. You just got to keep a good attitude and, and move forward, you know? And it was like one of those moments where, you know, God places these people to like give you the message that you need to hear at exactly that moment, you know? And I remember like, I walked away with like kind of tearing up uh, after that convo. And it like, I think that that followed it with my, my OOL and, and that conversation with that dude in the wheelchair really changed my attitude for the summer. I think I really adopted that. Okay, I'm gonna control what I can control. Oh, everything else it oh. just is what it is and and i'm just going to do the best that i can and be happy with the result and that really laid the foundation i would say for like my career at southwestern was that that moment so next summer no longer walking have a vehicle working in missouri so this was this was san francisco california like suburbs before now i'm in rural missouri different oh, world mm -hmm. and Where i go up to so i was in i was in kansas city on the missouri side but then you go north of there, you get to St. Joseph, Missouri. Yes, you do. Yep. So I was living in St. Joe and I was working in St. Joe, walking around, basically driving, but in the city. And I was kind of stagnant, you know, kind of hitting that second summer wall. And my, my, my OL again to the rescue was like, hey, uh, go up to, you know, the country kind of, uh, it's called Maryville. It's the home of the Northwest Missouri Bearcats. 
yes, and sir. that whole county basically there Mar i can't remember i think it was maryville county but maryville was the county seat and yep. my my roommate worked maryville and like the burbs around maryville and i worked like all the other little random towns in the county like around it was our last four weeks whatever yeah and I'll never forget, I roll up to this town called Elmo, Missouri, bro. Like, yeah, does that I, still exist? You know what that yeah, is? Yeah. My I had a girlfriend who I met during selling books. She sold them, she worked, she was from Milan, Missouri, cool. which is just a little bit outside St. Joe, but we drove and like I've been in that whole area. I know where I, I'm so aware. <laughs> as of the the 2010 census, Elmo was 168 people. So nice. I'm this is this is 2006 when I'm there. So yeah. Maybe went up, maybe went down, but yeah, it's a 200 person town in it's, Missouri. It's, you could do it in a day. <laughs> I sold more units than people in the town, bro. Like that was my first 200 unit day. Like I, I'll never forget this, dude. Like, <laughs> I think that's actually pretty badass. That's so awesome. I roll up to Elmo, I'm in my vehicle and I pull up and the first person I sit down with is, it's the perfect storm. The mom is the lunch lady at the high school. Oh shit! Her, her son is the freshman starting quarterback of the football team. You said get down. <laughs> Smack him with five books. This is five books back in the day, the handbooks, right? Smack him with five books right off the bat. Got the name on the sheet. Go to the next house. Oh, you you know you know them kind of. You know, it's just like it was the yeah. name in the two hundred person town of Elmo, and so I just literally went like five books five books five books kids books five Dude. books like boom 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 you know just oh, straight up in the zone and uh yeah just in the zone and yeah by the end of the night i remember i like told it all up and it was like it was my first you know what we used to call steak day yep. and uh and that, that was it and i think that really kind of broke that belief barrier that second year which led to third summer like chairman more you know p all these different things actually i hit pc second summer but that, that 200 unit day hit PC for the first time and that sort of belief barrier to where my third summer I was able to do kind of my, my best over 7,000 units like my best sales summer that year and it was it was this progression right of like that foundation that belief barrier and then it all coming together yep. in summer number three yeah that's uh that's the way to do it that's how yeah. you just bump oh what a good time when, when when that when it just when it's rolling I that happened to be my first summer too you had like a big day like it's, I think it's like it was 200 plus units, and you, but Whoa. it's almost like you can't miss. Yeah, like, 100%. You, you sit down, it's in. You sit down, it's and, over. Like, And you know it right away. Like, yeah. that same thing. First store, 745, knock on this lady's house, opens up. She's like, hey, you're the book guy. Because I had just been starting to break turf in that town. So this cool. was a Monday. This okay. is a Monday. So I'm like, I'm about to just fucking wreck this town. Saturday, I'm going to do all the callbacks. It's 500 person town. I'm out. Yeah. It's Whitesville, uh, New York. <laughs> look at me whitesville new york I and love that. it's just it was just south uh east of wellsville which i ended up going to later but first store first lady opens up you're the book kid that i that everyone was talking about i'm like is that does that hurt me or does that help me and right she, hopefully help she's like that helps you uh, i need some books and i'm like get down this is what you used to say get down all the time because you're listening to that bill zizzy advances like get down so i get in there bro one through five and it's like 7 50 in the morning like i already know i don't need to, i always try to not to count units in my head but i'm like that's 42 already i already know <laughs> she goes i go uh i've been working the outskirts as i usually work city obviously you work the outskirts small towns outskirts and then the main drag 
And so sure. like, hey, uh, are you going to work? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, your driveway's super wide. Do you mind if I just park my car here and I'm just going to walk all day uh, in this small little town? Is that cool? She's like, yeah, leave it there until you need. And I was like, okay, go next door, 8.05 at this point or something like that. By the time I get down and left, get everything I need for the day, my lunch, right? Oh, 8.05, knock on the door, her day off. I go, hey, I was just talking next door. And she's like, oh, you're the book guy. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I am. And she goes, come on in. I need some books. I'm like, that's what she said. She goes, did she buy it? I go, yeah. She goes, good, because they do homework together. And I'm going to need that cool. stuff too. Immediately. Cool. I'm like, Okay. 80, 86, and it's 9 a.m. <laughs> it's 9 a.m., bro. And I'm like, this is insane. And I told myself, okay, so it's zero. I did a good job right. with that. I'm like, yeah, and you know the feeling. Do you're like, okay, this is about to be a good day. <laughs> so you, yeah. just, you just shut up and you just go. Next thing you know, you look up, it's, it's dark. You're leaving the last yeah. house. I yeah. did not count units in my head. I didn't want to like know uh, until that night. And so I leave the last, last house. It's like, it was like 9.40. And I'm like, I don't know what I just did, but I know I have eight customers because the order pad started with 201 and now it's 209. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. And I get home, do my bar back when you see through the paper bar and I'm just adding this shit up. Dude. It was it was like wait three. But when you're in that flow, it's just yeah. such a cool feeling. I agree. I think the, to me, sort of the, if we're talking when did I feel there's two moments where I felt the most proud on the book field of, of, of what I did. And one of them was my last summer, my 10th summer. I did, I did seven weeks and did a Monday, Tuesday, went to Brazil to take my dad to his first world, like Brazil men's team game that he ever watched, watched yeah. the world cup with my dad in Brazil, like childhood dream, spent a month in Brazil. So did Monday, Tuesday, month in Brazil, came back, on a Tuesday, followed on a Wednesday, and then sold for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and hit PC in that week on my bar. No fucking way. Like, the, if that makes, like, the, yeah. Yeah. So that was, I was pretty proud of that. That was 10th summer. I'm like, yeah, man, put me anywhere. I'm a hit PC this week. You know, with whatever. Holiday, with one holiday. Yeah, with the holiday in the middle. Yeah. So it was basically the, those five days split by a month in Brazil. I, I hit Presence Club on the, on the, you know, on the, for the week. And then, and then the, I think the, the, the reason my, my number one team was a number one team, I do really believe we talked about this earlier in the leading by example. And I think like, you can't teach what you don't know or lead where you don't go. And uh, I, I'll, I'll never forget this, but the, in, I think it was cause my, cause we came out early from Michigan. So we were the first week out with like Florida and some of those Eagle Blitz guys. And we were on the back of the pace setter that summer for the first six weeks. And it was like week one, week two, uh, my first year, Eddie, who I worked with up here in New York, he still lives up here. He was he was the top first year for I think his first three weeks. He ended up number three in the company that year. And the third week was this perfect stormer in my little like rural county. We were in uh, Hampton Roads, Virginia, kind of Yorktown, you know, uh, Virginia Beach, that area, right? And uh, I I kid you not, the Friday night before my Saturday of my of my week three. The, the superintendent of my school district left a voicemail to every family in the entire school district. Oh, shit. To watch out for the book guy and to call the cops when he came to the door. Oh. So I get there on Saturday. I'm like, feeling myself, gravy day, need 100 units to hit PC. You know, and you, unlike you, Saturdays, 
I put the units up here and just count them down. I'm like, all right, 100, sweet. 72, <laughs> yep, 43, what, you know, like I'm just counting down to, to 600. That was my, I don't know, we all motivate ourselves in different ways. Yeah. So when I get to the first house, you know, ho, stay right there, don't go anywhere. Cops come up, hey, hey, sir, you know, book guy, uh, have the permit, you know, said blah, blah, not sure what's happening. Like, oh, you know, that's weird. It must be someone else. I'm like, hey, uh, so whatever, you know, go next door, dude, same thing. I'm like, hey, you know, sir, hi, me again. Still just do my job, have the permit. Let me ask you a question. I was like, could I, um, could I borrow your, do you have a business card, the cops? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, cool. Could I get one from you guys? And I like put it and I put it in. And I just like midday adjusted my approach. Like, hey, uh, Travis Bookman, <laughs> probably uh, heard about me on the voicemail of the school district. Super big misunderstanding. In fact, uh, grab that, you know, your your little notebook. Like, here's the sheriff's business cards. We talked to him earlier this morning. Wow, crazy that this is going on, right? But anyways, Travis Lopez and like went back in, and like literally mid, you oh, know, kind of adjusted and added the business cards of, you know, I'm supposed to be here. And uh and and still, you know, still hit PC that week in spite of that. Bro. And uh, and and the team was still that. And it was like I remember the write-up where they were like, you know, when this happens and your OL still does it, like you go do it as a team. And I think like that again, this sort of like culmination, I would say. If I had done that six summers and then just dipped, I would have been in such a better experience. But uh, but that that was like my I think there. And then I think after that, I had some good stuff. I mean, we, you know, a lot of my good friends today are still from after that, right, that I got closer yeah. to. So I think at the end of the day, I think the most valuable thing you take from Southwestern is the network. If if you're yeah. lucky enough to build those relationships. I mean, I'm dating someone in Southwestern, like a lot of my good friends are all Southwestern people, like, you know, connections, talking to Todd. I just, Todd referred me to a guy, David Cunningham, I'm trying to get into the real estate game. He just called me, I called him and he gave me half an hour real estate advice earlier today. Like the, awesome. the connections you build from having, done this weird thing together back in the day i leverage yes. those all the time even even today even at 34 even in a totally different career world i'm constantly talking and, and interacting with people and from that same southwestern background so i think that that alumni base is yeah. is so powerful yeah and and i think honestly that's what this podcast was originally about not to get all like philosophical or like tell me soapy about it but just I mean, I was going through the pandemic, man, and I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, I do stand-up comedy. I don't know if I told you that's, that's that I, I was a fan. I did stand-up with Brandon Q for a while, and um, yeah, and, were and you then, in Vietnam with him, or weren't you no, guys out there? No, okay. I didn't. I didn't go with uh, Isaiah Garza. Went with him. Um, that's what it was. Like that, yeah, but that was probably we we ended up we broke up like the Beatles. Although him and I are fine now, but it was just okay. uh, yeah, yeah. At the time, it, I had a whole bit about it when it when it went down, which. Wait, but don't, don't you have to be funny to, to do stand-up comedy? Uh, no comments. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, the, the best way I always said it was when Isaiah showed up, the dynamic changed him and I, Brandon and I do comedy too, Isaiah and I do comedy, or, and, sure. and Brandon. And the, the way I always just said it is, is we had different opinions on the direction we wanted to take the group. Now, my opinion was that I should have stayed in the group, and we just had different opinions in the direction we should have taken the group. That's how I have just politically correctly just explained sure. that. Sure. Um, right. But I was sitting in this in in, in uh, to get back to the what you, to what you said. It, I'm sitting there in like November, and I'm like, dude, I just I just need to talk to a human being. I'm an extrovert, bro. I'm I, I, and I've, I'm a, I've been quarantined for 
a year essentially here now like the minimal exposure to human beings for the last it got really bad in lincoln so for the last like up to that point like the last three or four weeks i had just been staying home like almost the whole time and and i'm like i can't do this forever so i thought when when do i when was the last time i had a solid meaningful conversation with someone i didn't know and it was when i was in portland i was visiting will metcher and we run into some book guys there uh didn't know them ever. they met they they sold before will and will sold started before i so the, the point is yeah. i connected with a human being oh I, and then, so that was one and then another time i was in portland again and i and i talked to this uh book band that sold in the 70s with dan moore uh he, and he, he knew my at the time girlfriend's dad and we ended up like bumping into each other by complete accident we were eating dinner with her parents he was a family friend he came over he's like i did southwestern and we just like immediately bonded he started sure. talking about started talking about how anybody that sells books more than one summer is a total badass and how they're met and this is in front of my parents <laughs> so i'm like this is fucking great thank um, you <laughs> yeah i was like stop um, yeah <laughs> and then <laughs> and then i realized that like that's the thing about southwestern that's also different is like i mean because here's the thing i remember you from southwestern we were in, we were in the business together for a couple we overlapped a couple of years but it wasn't like you and i were tight like we didn't like hang out every get back for hours and have those like meaningful conversations till like two in the morning and then get up sure. to go to meetings and like we didn't have that but i we had the mutual respect of like this guy's a stud he recruits a lot he's a beast i can respect him you're sharp and i'll take advice from whatever you have to say because you do better than i do right i had that remember memory of you but here we are like when it doesn't really matter anymore and yeah. we've had a, it's been it's been we've it's been two hours and 13 minutes since we started recording we've been live for almost two and it's been such a great way to like just yeah. uh, like de-stress from like work not that work is stressful but just you know just to disconnect and just have a conversation oh. with someone and what southwestern did is just it's like we were it's like we've been friends forever even though like yeah. i couldn't tell you your birthday or you know sure. what your parents names are like that like a real good friend would but We've been able to have this conversation on one thing and it was this experience and that is part of what southwestern does right that's that's the thing that it, like it pays itself forward that way where it's like I've, i stayed at brandon abernathy's couch last year for a conference that i was in atlanta for right and it was like i again i knew brandon it wasn't like we were tight but like i knew and so it's like i'm staying in his house he's out of town are you kidding me like yeah what the hell is that you know what how crazy but that's what it is it's the people it's because the kind of people especially the ones that stay for a while are those kind of people where you could call yeah. me like if i was in brooklyn and i called you you'd be like bro come on by and say hi well yeah but depending on how sure right in the whatever yeah outside in the, of in, in the a normal time we live in. world that we have to say that now in the normal world that's Dude, what we just do. go ahead want to say some uh my buddy jason lee shout out to Jason Lee, he's a he's a badass in San Francisco in the tech, uh, sales, you know, sales world. Another alumni that made it in tech. Uh, he said, "Hey man, caught part of your ponytails talk. Great interview. Hope you're doing well." So shout out to Jason. Uh, yeah. He's a phenomenal resource in in San Francisco. If you do end up there for uh, for tech sales, cool. That's good. That's a good shout out. Um, yeah. And so yeah, so that's the point. And, and and here's the thing. You know what? Like to to point to, to prove that point. I could have you text him and be like, hey, let him know that I'd want him on the cast. And he'd be like, hell yeah. And then I would talk to him. Never met him before. And sure. just be like, what's up? Elif Cohen, never met him. He has to be on the cast. Great. I want him back because he had a really cool stuff to share about value. Sample. People like you who like have a lot to share. This is great conversation for 
anybody, alumni, people who are looking into selling books and like really getting like a, a non-biased opinion on what it is, what it isn't. <laughs> yeah. And it's been, it turned into a really cool project that I just do for fun now. And yeah, I'm not getting paid for this, but this is fun. It's just been such a cool way to like get out of my apartment somehow and connect with a human that like I can for sure connect with and self plus with a lot of that. So I think that's good. Sure. Yeah. And, that, that's, and that's part awesome. of that network that you were talking about, part of that like environment that you create. So um, it is. It kind of it kind of died down in 2020, but I actually lead the Southwestern Alumni NYC Facebook group. And I had a little reminder on LinkedIn Sales Nav when like a new person popped up on the list, like former, former employee Southwestern, current location, New York, right? And I would like yeah. pull their email and like email them and say, hey, you know, I'm blah, blah, blah. And I'm, you know, there's a 140 person group of, of, uh, of people uh that that is on linkedin that that yeah. uh back in the day we used to do events and little happy yeah. hours and stuff like that and it's exactly what you're talking about people could show up you never met didn't do it there's this one random shared past job on linkedin but it's you can hang out for hours you know so i yeah. i totally yeah. agree with that and now the list has gotten bigger like i got and told to go call todd mcwhorter to call some of these people who elliot knew so if you know speaking of that if you know anybody who a should be on this cast or sure. b would like to hear some of the, or be like, this guy would get a kick out of this. He's got to come listen, sure. or gal or gal. Um, just send him all, when I share the link to YouTube, share share that to them. And I just, I wanted to just kind of grow organically. I don't want to like pay for advertisement to get people to like the, the paid <laughs> Facebook page, but I would love to uh, to just have it be like a community where it's like people can just tune in while they wash their dishes for 10 minutes out of like two hours and just like be like, yeah, I remember that. That was cool, you know? And that's what yeah. I wanted to do, so um so okay so we've been on for a couple hours so now i'm going to okay. ask you about the pony story the um, pony and story. then that means that we still have a lot of stories to share uh down the line so i would love to have you for example you and gabs talk about like southwestern couples or something like that or sure other, or uh, elif gave us an opportunity or an idea to have like a panel of people and have like different discussions shared value stuff that maybe doesn't just, isn't just about pony stories but it's about like a cool way to like share value to anybody that might be watching and talk about how to get success in different avenues based on like what you're sure. I think that'd be fun too. Uh, but that'll be for another time because I want to hear this pony story that you've been that we've, cool that we've been talking about. All right, so it's a it's a Borat story. This was 2007. Uh, <laughs> it was right after the original Borat, which crazy now Borat two came out ten years later. So this been a minute. This dates me a little bit. But this was 07, and I had this. Uh, I was in North Carolina. It was peak like Morda Lee, Travis Lopez, right? Like you've got your mad coffee. You know, when you hit those big weeks, you're just like, you're on top of the world. You're walking on water, right? Yeah. And I had a first year with me and I was working this kind of country cul-de-sac. So like big, long country road and then a little cul-de-sac with a bunch of houses on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I roll up and it's this like, it's this just brick house where you, there's this weird sort of, up, you know, up a little stairs to get to the front door to the house. And so my first year's down at the bottom, kind of looking up, I'm there. And my first year I was known in, uh, I was known for two things in Southwestern. One, which I'm surprised you haven't asked me about is my Southwestern book wraps. And uh, that was one thing I was known for. Two, I was known for the, uh, the Borat approach, right? Those are my two, like early Southwestern, that was what I was known for. You're gonna um, come back with the rest for next. Are you coming back on this cast? Uh, a little teaser, but it's uh, it one of the lines is 18 years, 18 years. We buy these books now; they last for 18 years. Um, so I got I got a lot of yes, 
I, I ain't saying she's a book buyer, but she ain't messing with no first no year, yeah. you know? So, <laughs> so anyways, we can, we can, we can do that on another cast. Yes. Another cast. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, so, so my first year, which at this point I was known for, was like, yo, yo, T, T, do a Borat, do a Borat. And I was like, eh, you know, at this point, whatever, you know? What? So I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. It's been a while, but I'm going to try. I recently watched Borat too, so I'm still oh So, you know, mom God. comes around, I'm like, uh, yeah, Chabash, uh, I'm <laughs> Travis. And I am an uh, internship in USA Day for summer. Very nice. I love USA Day. And so the mom's just kind of like, okay, I'm like, oh. I uh, sell books uh, for kids. Uh, you have a kids? Oh my God. And then she's like, yes. I'm like, great success. Uh, I must uh, make a 30 sits or I will be executed. Uh, do you have a place to make the sits? And I like bent down and grabbed the bag and did my like, you know, wiping the, wiping your hand. Do you have a place to make the sits? And she was like, hold on one second. She ran inside. So I'm like, okay. So, you know, we're waiting. I'm like, first she was like looking. She comes back and she's like, yeah, yeah, come on in. Oh, so you, have that, you have that moment, right? Where you have to decide, Andres, in that second, in that instant. It's like, it just flashes by. But in that instant, you have to decide, hey, do I say, oh, hey, hey, man, by the way, I was just messing around at the door. My name's Travis. I, I'm, I'm a normal human. Or do you double down and do the entire demo in Borat Boys? That's a choice you have to make, and I hope. I chose option B. <laughs> <laughs> you committed. That is the so level of commitment. We sit down, and I'm like, ah, oh, yes, king in the castle. I'm no. the chair. You know, like, I'm literally just dead ass. And, and I remember there's a couple. I don't remember a lot, but I remember when, uh, you know, a kids, uh, they, they come home, and they have a problem, yes? And uh, you try to help. And you try to make answer, and they say, "Mom, you'll never get this. You'll never get this." <laughs> and just committing, bro. Dead ass, the fucking Borat demo, dude. The entire and my my first year is just in the corner, just do- like trying not to die, dude, just trying to maintain I composure. Died. The dog gets in his lap. He's like burying his head in the dog, like trying not to laugh. And I go, 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 go. I do the Borat. It just uh. You know, uh, six seventy nine, not bad, right? And so the whole thing, she buys, and then she bought. I guess that's my and then she bought story, uh, but I couldn't tell it because it was the pony story. So I was saving it for the end. That so and then she bought. Brilliant. So we do that. I hit Mort that week. Part that cold de sac. I sold her, sold her, sold her. Like so, you know, just murdered that cold de sac. Come back the next week on Monday, and. Uh, I'm, you know, back to the cul-de-sac in gravy, following up, you know, trying to catch that one last mom. And the mom comes to the door and she's like, hey, you know, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, hey, Travis, I'm the book man, blah, blah, blah. You know, just feeling myself. She's like, come on in. Oh, yeah. You, you know, I talked to your neighbor so-and-so who was over here. Oh, shit. I actually forgot about this. Pause. Going back. I was driving home that night post-Borat sale. Okay. With my first year in the car driving home. We get to this like traffic stop kind of vibe that's happening. So, you know, roll down the window, just trying to be friendly. Like, you know, hey officer, you know, Travis, book guy, what's going on, whatever. And one of the cops is like, hey. And I'm like, hey, sir, how you doing? You know, just selling books, blah, blah. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, we met earlier. And I'm literally like, did we? 
And he goes, he literally goes, yeah, remember I, uh, I have the blind dog. That's what he said. When she had this blind dog that the first year kid was like playing with the whole oh, time. And I was, it like clicked. Me, like, blind dog. And the whole time I've just been in normal, like I sound like right now, right? And it's a cop. So I literally look at him and I'm like, yes, hey, uh, Brad. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. No, um, of course. Yeah, I remember you. Absolutely. We were, I was, yeah. And, you know, just like, caught, like, hand in the cookie jar, you know? And I'm like, hey, you know. What are the uh, odds? What are the odds? Man? You know, dead ass, bro. And, and I'm like, hey, um, you know, the, the summer gets long and, you know, it gets kind of boring sometimes. So we just, you know, we, we put on accents. We, you know, do whatever. But it's it's no harm, no foul. You know, it's just something we do and, you know, whatever. You're working with people. And he's like, look, man, you know, whatever. Do your thing. He's like, whatever. So I'm like, okay. And I'm like. Bullet dodge dodged. the bullet you know yeah. dodge the bullet that was on the way home that saturday or whatever oh, it was. that day right monday i'm in that same cul-de-sac cleaning up the final gravy from the week before because i'm greedy andres i'm greedy that's right and <laughs> and we're in that thing and i was like oh yeah you probably know sheila and brad they live next door they have the blind dog They're like oh yeah sheila and brad come on in walked in the mom's like oh oh and by the way i forgot i also i'm it's been a while since i've told this story so this I is good I said, uh, I'm Travis, I'm Travis Lopes from Czech Republic, you know, so I was telling her this whole thing where I'm from the Eastern Europe somewhere, blah, blah, blah. So we, um, I'm in there and, and the other mom, normal life, Sheila and Brad got in the door and she's like, you know, we're going through the whole thing. And I sold them, by the way, it was like seven books plus CDs. It was, you know, mad units, right? That the Borat like, sale was like a giant. The Borat sale was, was nine dollars Like a bag. Dead ass. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then. This lady basically has the same kids as them and buys everything except CDs. So it's like $700 for her. Oh, so it's like yeah. 900, 700, she has everything. And during the course of the process, she's like, hey, it's my birthday today. You got, you caught me on my birthday. And I go, oh, no way. Um, so funny story, Lopez, I'm actually Brazilian. And I'm like, do you mind if I sing you happy birthday in Portuguese? Which is one of the things I always did that like people love and you know, yeah. whatever they like. It's, good. They get it's it. a good thing to do. So yeah, so I find a band, blah, 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 do the whole thing. Right. So, you know, what up, you know, whatever here, got it done. A, again, a day later, and this is where you get too greedy, but I'm back on that block talking to the one mom that I haven't been able to catch up with from this cold sack because every other mom on this cold sack is mom. And I'm sitting there and I'm doing the approach and I'm going through the thing and this mom's like not feeling it. She has little kids, not the same as everyone else. And I'm going through and she's like, you know, whatever. And then as she's, as I'm still trying to like triple approach, you know, you like got that swag, like, man, everyone's bought like you, you gotta talk to me like this is you we should be talking to each other like the, the 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 police car pulls in like behind my car in her driveway on that cul-de-sac so i'm like go That's walk back bad. over and the dad's there and the dad's walks up and he's like hey you know good to see you i'm like hey you know travis yeah bookman he's like yeah we know each other i'm like yeah i know <laughs> he's like he's like hey man uh so you know our neighbor called my wife sheila and it was interesting because it was her birthday. And apparently you sang her happy birthday in Portuguese. You told her you were from Brazil. But you told my wife that you were from Czech, Czech Republic. And so, like, they basically <laughs> traded stories about me, realized that I was just telling people I was from anywhere in the world. And and literally the husband was like, I want my check back because this is when we, you know, we did checks yeah, or whatever. So he like, took yeah. her check, took other ladies' check took uh uh took the books 
and basically like walked away with like 150 of my units from from the week oh. before when I'm not remembering the scenario, but basically like one 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 you know seventh of my week just gone evaporated evaporated. So I'm chagrined, and I'll tell you what, Andres, I never did a voice at a house again after my third summer. <laughs> never did it again. But I like it's like this lesson learned, this lesson learned, and this is this is where to not to belabor the point, but the story keeps going. And a week or two later, I'm getting these voicemails when I when I get off work from Southwestern customer service. I'm like, Jesus Christ, bro. Like, so they're this calling the company, bro. So they're calling the right. I'm like, fuck, like, of course, the cop, call, you know, called the cut the name on their receipt and like complained that I was an asshole. Like, I totally deserved that. I was an asshole. And I'm like, oh my God, like, what do I have to do now? You know? So I like call, call up, you know, whatever, customer support. Or I don't, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You get those voicemails like, hey, stop during your day, get your phone out, give us a call. Right. And it's like gulp. Yeah. They mean it. They're asking you to use your phone. That's yeah. Like, like in the day, get out your phone that you never have on and call us. This is urgent. So I was like, okay. So, you know, next day, pick up the phone, call, call Southwestern customer support. Okay. They're like, hey. Calling because Brad and Sheila, you know, called Brad called and talked to us. I'm like, okay, what's up? And the customer support lady goes, Sheila wants you to stop by uh, if you get a chance. Like, I'm okay. like, what? Oh no. And the customer support's like, yeah, you gotta go, you gotta go stop by. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, all right. So I wait till you know, end of the night, kind of like last last house in gravy, whatever, 9 p.m., whatever. And I roll up knock on the door, it's like, you know, whatever, I'm just there. <laughs> Sheila comes out and we have this convo and she's like, man, she's like, you don't gotta do that shit, man. She's like, these books sell themselves, Travis. You don't gotta pull that shit. I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. You know, I am Brazilian, but it doesn't matter. It, you know, I only lied once basically is what I was saying, but uh, I shouldn't have done it, you're right, et cetera. I, I'm ready for whatever you wanna do. And she goes, yeah, you know, come on in, show, show me those books again, dude, bruh. She ended up rebuying, like, let's say, 70 or let's say 700 of her original 900 and then she sent me back to her neighbor who bought let's call it 500 of the original 700 i still made out with like 120 of those 150 units because oh. literally they were like these books by themselves you don't need to push it just do it and i was like man well lesson learned so that was the borat story and that was the last time i did Hell a voice yeah. at a door and it was a good lesson learned but it was cool it was like product belief you know like man these yeah. These moms, I pulled all this shit and they still came they back and ponies. spent hundred of dollars on books. They were ponies. And I think that is my ultimate pony story about that is a my two ponies pony in North Carolina. That is a great pony story. Thanks, I man. love it, bro. <laughs> Dude, the board approach. You have to just commit it. I committed to it. He said, epic, bro. Epic. That's good shit. That was it, man. Whew, wow. Was it. What a good episode. That was a good episode. Uh, that was good dude uh we have to have you back please uh cool look forward uh do follow follow us on youtube it's pony uh this nick will take this is uploading to the cloud nick will take this put cool. it on youtube and then um then you can share it as well wherever you want uh that was fun um please come back on uh next we got um i can't remember who we have next nick the one that really helps with the with the scheduling uh but sometimes i i, I do as well uh, but that's why he's not here because he's busier than I am, but he's good at that type of stuff. Um, cool. And yeah, so I think Dylan Barr is coming up at some point, uh, Fido, 
is going to come up at some point. Uh, I think nice. next Love few Fee. weeks. So we're excited. Can I tell a story about Fee? Dude, yes, please. My my uncle. So I, I recruited at UCLA. So I, I know Fee well. Him and Omar were great partners of mine when I was out there. Amazing. And he was on. He was doing the most. Well, let me tell this. It, this is actually kind of a random story. But my uncle, who lives in California as well, he decided he's one of these like big traveler guys back in the day when you could travel. And he decides to go on this like trek through the mountains of Nepal to like kind of commune with himself and just, you know, have a little mini escape and do this thing. And my sure. uncle literally <laughs> is on this trip. And he basically said uh, that he, they were sitting around the campfire on this trip one day. And he, he was talking about his nephew that did this crazy book selling thing. And literally one of the people on the hike goes, oh, I did that book selling thing too. And my uncle goes, oh, do you know Travis Lopez? And Fee is like, yeah, I know Travis Lopez. Holy I'm shit. Fee, like, tell him hi for me. And Fee actually did us did a Nepalese hike for like seven days in Nepal with my uncle, former Nebraska uh, Lincoln graduate, Bruce Wagoner, who works at, uh, works at NASA in, uh, in LA and JPL. And Fee and him met in Nepal. Like, that's how small the Southwestern book world is. So for what it's worth, he's a great guy. Hopefully I'll be back soon with uh, my girlfriend, Nicole. We can do a couples edition. Yeah. Southwestern. And also, uh, yeah, man, it's been I my pleasure. Her and Gab's on. Cause I, I, the I twin I, edition. Yeah. I, I'm trying to do, well, like siblings. So like the Q brothers. Twinergy. Uh, uh, I, so my brother and I sold to maybe do like an episode with him, make it like a kind of cool episode that way. Uh, cool. There's the Hertig brothers. There's so many siblings that sold books. And yeah. Um, and then there's also like parents and kids. Like there's like my parents sold books type of feeling. And I have I'm, a good recommendation for you too yes, on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Send them Keith, Keith Brown and Austin Brown. Keith was a host of mine in Charlotte. I was there in Charlotte in October and actually had dinner with Keith and his wife. His son Austin sold there with uh, with um, out of North Carolina. UNC Dude, Austin yeah. Austin Brown but yeah Keith Brown Austin Brown would be a great I'll hook if, you up with their, their yeah if you, could, if you could con and then just text them ahead of time that'd be great yeah that'd yeah be, yeah I'm, anything like that is just cool to just interesting it's a different twist on like the southwestern tale and it's cool it's to have I'm also trying to have like some uh, I mean like I, I there's like legends that are for sure when I hit so like you were one of them fees another one um I'm trying to get like uh Jake Swenson uh because he's he's pretty pretty awesome guy that the long-term guys, like the eight to ten summer sure. guys, Pete Burgess, those are all legends, right? They're they're cool people who who stuck with it for a long time and and you know did make a difference for a lot of people. And so that those are always going to be worth having on because they have super cool stories to tell. So cool. for sure, and I don't think I'm ever going to run out. I think this is kind of cool. The cool thing about Southwestern is it's like there's so many tales for years, man, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and every time cool. that goes back to that bar I was with with those guys with with Will Metcher. Because there was one, it was interesting. There was six. I'll close with this. There were six guys, and one guy that didn't sell books. And he was he did some other door to door thing. And it is similar, but it's it, it's not the same. And we were just talking. I'm like, bro, this is different. He goes, how is it different? Like, Watch. Hey guys, you want to hear a pony story? And each one that was having an individual conversation just dead ass just stopped. He goes, yes. And so I started. I'm like, yeah. See, you don't get that anywhere else. That's like a thing sure. with us. And so that's kind of the cool thing about this whole thing. And so, uh, yeah, man, we'll have you back on for sure. Keep it, uh, keep in touch. Um, stay tuned for other episodes that come up. Share, share the shit out of it with any book person that you think it needs to kind of either see it or be on cool. it. I would love to have that on. And then thanks so much for your time. I do appreciate you covering out this time to, to chat with us. That hey, thanks, perfect. man. It was my pleasure. Be well, stay healthy, stay safe. Yeah. And uh, thank you for, uh, for having me on. Yeah, I hope you had fun. I hope it was worth it for you. <laughs> it was a good time, man. Definitely.
Thank you so much. Tell uh, tell uh, Gabby and Nicole hi for me. Well, do man. Nicole first, because you know, and then. <laughs> but I will do. Man. They they switched my favorite, so I don't know. You pick the other. <laughs> it's tough. Obviously, I'm I'm partial to Nicole, but you know they're both great. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, man. You have a good. You have a good rest of your night. All right. You too. See ya. Bye.